The garden help you need. Now, Mid-South Gardening on the Mighty 990, powered by Palladio Home and Garden, with your hosts, Veda Vance, Kenneth Mabry, and Jim Crowder. Good morning, Mid-South Gardeners, and welcome to Mid-South Gardening. Good, good morning, Kenneth. Good I'm, morning to you, my dear. How are you? I'm just hunky-dory. Another <laughs> dark drive-in this morning, so I guess we're officially there. Yep. Okay. Now we can say... Well, I was going to say now we can f- say fall, y'all, but next week's winter, y'all. Winter, y'all. Fall, y'all. Yeah, that's actually fall next week, though, really. Yeah. And I'm looking huh. forward to it. All right, so you have seen the forecast for like next yeah. Tuesday and Wednesday night. When, last night, okay, mm-hmm. Monday night was going to be, what, 45. Tuesday was going to be 35, Yeah. the low. Mm-hmm. Wednesday was going to be 31. I missed that one, Uh 31. And then Thursday was going to be 36. So we're in for a nice little cool down, especially at night. Someone had said, um, okay, I'm going to cover, and there's a few things I'm going to move in, probably bring my house plants in. And I was thinking, you know, we do this for like four hours. Yeah. For the because we might have bad weather, and then it goes back up, and we have weather that we could have left our plants out, oh, house yeah. plants out till December. Oh yes, you know. So it's so confusing. And thirty one, you're kind of gonna have to uh, say bring your house plants in. Yeah, and then you know, and then what's the whole plan behind that? You know, we don't want to mm-hmm. wait till you know Wednesday morning to drag these things in oh, because yes, we there is. Do. A, <laughs> We're telling you now, there's yes. a little prep work ideally involved before you bring these things in, Veda. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, you know, it's uh, a lot of people want to just to spray their house plants. But I would say, yeah, clean them up, check for insects, yeah. treat them. And uh, we used to say fertilize them. I mean, I want to say fertilize I mean, them, but can, not really. I mean, you, you could know? put something, but you know, pretty mild if yeah. you wanted to. Like but. the worm castings, you know. Uh, yeah, exactly. No, nothing that's going to work fast on the house plants because we kind of have them to slow down mm-hmm. a little Shorter bit. Shorter days. They're yeah. not just ready to just grow like they did in yeah. the spring and summer. But you're right. I mean, I'd go out there on a nice day like today. Take advantage mm-hmm. of it. I mean, give them a good wash down. Just good water. Mm-hmm. Wash them down really good. Maybe let that dry and then come back and, uh, and spray with some permethrin or neem oil or, you know, just some... Uh, all-purpose, safe insecticide that you can use on houseplants. I mean, uh, Triple Action has got neem and Mm. permethrin combined. You know, it's a really good product. There's even a granulated houseplant systemic granule, you know, that you Mm -hmm. can sprinkle on the soil and water it in. But I'd go ahead and, you know, and and cut off anything that's dead or, you know, just you don't really want on there. So so take the time now while we got some decent weather, some beautiful weather, actually, Mm -hmm. Get them all cleaned up, get them insect-free, get them prepped uh, to bring inside because I'm telling you, you leave this tender stuff out and we see it every year. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, if it actually gets down to 31 degrees, you're going to see some damage on those plants. Right, and you may not see it initially, but you're going to see it uh, as time progresses. Also, when you bring your house plants in, they're going to drop some leaves. You read my mind. Uh, whatever uh. house plant, usually, because you're taking it from all this wonderful light and humidity and more of its natural environment, and then we're bringing it into a drier location. No and, humidity, you yeah, know. Right, the light's much different. So, I mean, just think when we get house plants in, that they come from Florida, they go on a truck, 
Um, then they come back to us, or then we get them, and then we bring them inside, and they're actually grown in Florida, not not. I mean, in a more of their native condition. Sure. Yeah, so we're just snatching those up and throwing them into a building that doesn't have all the light outside and dry air. So don't freak out, you're saying, Veda. If you, you know, once you get them all cleaned up, you know, you get them sprayed down, maybe put some earthworm castings like you're talking about as a little top dressing, which Mm -hmm. is wonderful for these house plants and containers. But once you do all that and get them inside, and even though you put them in a perfect spot, uh, you know, where you typically put them every year or, or just in a good spot they're still not going to perform mm-hmm. exactly the same indoors as they do yeah. outside, even though we call them houseplants. Yes, yeah. houseplants are plants that can, or they're tropicals, actually, yeah. that can grow inside of our house. They would prefer to be outside. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it's amazing how well they can do inside. You know, I've really thought about that before. And there's nothing that we can grow indoors except for the tropical plants, Uh indoors and it's like why do they work indoors and nothing else will work indoors and thank goodness and it, work. and it makes me think that you know typically when we think of house plants we think of something that's fairly manageable you know a, a plant in a pot yeah that we can move around anytime we want outside inside inside outside mm-hmm. whatever well i know some people that have some house plants that are in custom built containers and they nice. move them around with a fork lift Oh, oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, so, you know, gosh. so, I mean, we have no excuse. That's true. Where do they put them? They, they just have they've big got, uh, they've got, it's like a barn they put them in. I mean, yeah. it's like, well, it's a shed. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, this, I've, I've seen a picture. It's a ficus tree, actually. Uh, I know oh. two people that have them that move them around with, with a forklift. And they are huge, but they're and they're beautiful. Yeah, don't get me. I mean, Just they're absolutely amazing. Beautiful, like the traditional ficus Benjamin. But they've yeah exactly. Mm-hmm. But they've had it so long that they're at a point now where they just can't. I mean, even though they don't want to mess with it, yeah. They, they, don't, just they just can't let it go. I know, because I was going to say, well, they could cut it back so it wouldn't touch the ceiling. But if it's in a container that big and they're putting it in a shed or barn. <laughs> Custom-made yeah. planter. So wow. we have no excuse, guys, moving these little plants from you know outdoor to indoor. But now, yeah, you can wait till the last second and grab mm-hmm. them and slap them inside if you want. But it's always better if you can clean them up, wash mm-hmm. them down. You know, take care of the insect potential yeah. insect problems before you bring those indoors. So yeah, yeah, I shake I shake the plants and see you know what falls out. <laughs> uh, sometimes just old leaves and things like that, but I shake it around or brush it, trying to get things uh, to loosen up and fall out, so I don't have to do it inside, um, and then have to clean up the leaves. And also, and it may be difficult to do this in your home, but when we have the house plants outside and we're going to bring them inside, first I start with placing them because there's plants outside that can take uh, lower light conditions mm-hmm. inside, but you have to acclimate them to lower light as well. So mm-hmm. I start them by putting them in front of the window Mm -hmm. for about a couple of days or so, just getting them used to being inside, and then start moving them closer to the area that I want them, which is a lot of work. And, you know, most of the time you get away with just snatching them up and putting them inside, you know. But if you've got something that... Let you really want to take care of. Yeah, like, yeah. like we have at work this huge pothos ivy. It's like 
$550. Yeah. So that's how big it is. And the leaves are humongous. But so that one, you'd really want, that'd be one that you would want to do the special moving it in. And, well, you're not kidding. Yeah. yeah. And, and don't do <laughs> by, and I'm not going to name names, mm. but there's a person that I know that had a ton of tropicals. Okay. And they're around the pool yeah. and their big deck and everything. Is this like the hibiscus? Oh yeah. The, hibiscus yeah. and palm trees and everything mm-hmm. in between. And they were like, just didn't have room inside their house, honestly. Mm-hmm. So they have a gazebo also. So they they actually wrapped the gazebo in plastic. Yeah. And they stuffed all these plants in there. And they kind of put bricks at the bottom of the plastic just to hold the plastic down. So they built this mini greenhouse. Well, they never thought about venting this thing. Oh. Even when the you know the sun would come mm-hmm. out and it would get warm. It actually created so much moisture in there that when you opened this thing, y'all, it was like a fungal Petri dish. <laughs> I mean, it was yeah. like the plants were just melting <laughs> in there because of all the fungus. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, there are other ways other than bringing them indoors. Mm-hmm. You know, you can build these little greenhouses and protected yeah. areas, but you've got to vent these things right. during the day. And yeah. it was crazy. Y'all, I've never seen anything like it. Oh, wow. So they because, were trying to do the right yeah, thing. They're just <clears throat> bunching them all together. Yes. That's what I try to explain at the garden center on the outside, too, is everything needs their space. <sighs> I mean, we like if we're having a hard freeze for for you know just a night or something like that we bunch all the plants together and cover them but then we separate them back out because if we leave them bunched together like you said the plant will have fungus it'll have insects it'll grow halfway oh. because they're pushed together <laughs> oh, it, was, it was horrible i'm telling yeah. you well, i mean and it was probably imagine. you know 40 or 50 degrees warmer in this gazebo when oh. i pulled the plastic up I'm like, no, y'all, this this stuff is done for. See, isn't that the wonderful feeling? It's outside and cold, and if you've got your greenhouse set up properly, you just go inside and you feel the warmth, oh, and, yeah. and it's a whole new environment. Well, we're going to go to a break, and we'll talk more about whatever y'all want to talk about. Yeah. But you'll have to let us know, and give us a call at 260-5926. Good morning. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Give us a call at 260-5926 or... You can go to the Mighty 990 Facebook page and shoot us a text anytime you want. Or you can go to kwamradio.com, streaming live all the time, Miss Veda, and listen to the podcast later on if you miss it now. That's right. But I... Uh, Go ahead. Uh, Oh, I was going to say, because we were on Tropicals and all, that, man, right now my hibiscus looks fantastic. I know it. I know it. But I guess... In a way, I'm glad that the freeze or frost is going to come earlier, so it's not so hard to remove the beautiful plant. Well, and then the next question is, you know, how long do we wait to get our annual color up and put in our beautiful fall color? You know, pansies and violas and, you know, because honestly, just like in the springtime, you know, when it comes to pansies, you know, we wait for the last second to pull them up before we put Mm -hmm. in the spring and summer color. Well, we could do the same thing with the spring and summer color that we have now before we put in the fall color. Right, exactly. And that's so difficult. But we need to get it in. I'm thinking. Yeah, we really do. Um, middle of October, usually by the first week in November, we're really low on inventory mm-hmm. with the pansies well, and the and cabbages. And the growers will start running out of 
lot of the mm-hmm. colors also. I yeah. mean, we're we're you know still in great selections right mm-hmm. now. Yeah, absolutely. Now is awesome. Right, but I'm just saying, you know, those beautiful impatience and those beautiful begonias and all that mm-hmm. stuff that still looks really good. You know, maybe not so much come the middle part of this coming week. Yeah. Hey, you know, there's two things that we plant in our winter containers that have multi-uses, mm. like the Swiss chard and the kale. They're both beautiful mm. ornamental plants, but they're also delicious edible. to eat. Yeah, edible. And you can just pluck that kale right off and throw it in your smoothie and grind it up. You know, y'all can't, you can't taste the the kale in your smoothie. It's just good for you. Yeah, it's just good for you, but you can't taste the kale in it. But um, you can enjoy harvesting out of your content. And heck, the pansies are edible too. Yeah, you know how many times we hear about the edible garden, you know, and, uh, you know, Swiss chard, there's one called Bright Lights. Mm -hmm. It's got the really colorful stems yeah really pretty like yellows and red oh yeah very pink Mm -hmm. variations of all of those i mean really pretty and then you mentioned uh you know even the mustards the red mustards Mm -hmm. uh you know now i'm not gonna go out there and eat my ornamental cabbage and kale you can (laughs) i'm just not gonna do it it's gonna taste horrible but you could you know but uh, but yeah, and, and then let me say this also, Vader. We're talking about you know things that you need to bring indoors, like house plants and tropical plants. You know there are accessories that gardeners have. Okay, <laughs> true. <laughs> and typically, you know, to me, one of the accessories that we typically have, especially like in a backyard, over a patio, over a table, is a nice big you know umbrella, patio mm, umbrella. That's true. How many times do you think I have forgotten not to, to like, roll the thing mm-hmm. down and tie it up? You know, we had yeah. that little storm that came through the other day. Oh, right. I was driving home thinking, hmm, the umbrella's still up. Wonder where that's going to be. Don't know. <laughs> oh, you really don't know? <laughs> don't know. It's gone. No, wait. Now, have you had that happen before? Many times. That just, it's gone. Yeah. That's what I thought. I I've think it's probably be- back in the woods, <laughs> you know, in a hundred pieces. And the birds back there and all the wild animals are going, oh, nice. Nice we umbrella. Well, yeah. it used to be a nice umbrella. Yeah. But it's just, I laugh at myself because, you know, you see wind chimes getting blown away. Mm-hmm. You see, you know, patio umbrellas getting blown away. Uh, gazing balls, you know, flying through okay. the air. I mean, we had some big time wind yeah. uh, the I other day. I wasn't expecting that. No, but I mean, yeah. it was great to see the rain, mm-hmm. though. Yeah, I was looking at someone's picture on the Mid-South Garden uh, USDA page and what oh, gum it what was I looking at that picture for oh oh yeah she had posted <laughs> it was such an awesome shot that um, where it was raining outside of course outside and they were on the patio and the picture from you could see the plants and then you could see where it was just raining really hard and this and is just storming. the other day the storm yeah. that we had yeah yeah and j- the picture was so good that i felt like i was in that situation again but i do i love the rain and somebody said when it rained well this ought to get the mississippi river up yeah. i'm like well first <laughs> it doesn't rain here to get the river up it's got to rain yeah. in another location it rains here to get the river up down in new orleans yeah, right right and poor new orleans because we only got an inch at the yeah. most yeah but the wind i tell you i mean but it was great to have that rain it was you know that was a drought another one of these droughts that we were going through and everybody knows yeah. you know this past summer it was 108 degrees for two months no rain whatsoever we all learned about watering techniques, okay? Mm-hmm. One way or the other, we did. Yeah. And then the same thing happened. You know, we did get, start getting a few rains, uh, thank goodness, uh, late yeah. summer. But, they, you know, it's been 
six weeks since we've had a rain since that rain we got just the other day. We need more, to be quite mm-hmm. honest with you. But I was uh, just so pleased to just to get that yeah. because everything was dry. Yeah, more just bone dry, yeah, bone as everyone dry. says, bone dry. And hopefully, you know, I'm wondering if we're going to get like a lot of cold, wet weather. Yeah. Really need to make sure your soil's loose so it can drain off. There's a lot of things that when it gets really cold and really <coughs> wet, really wet, then then they don't perform as well or they can get root rot, stuff like that. So Always remember to amend your soil every time. Oh, yeah. And then another thing is, you know, I made a little note that, you know, we're not in wintertime yet. I get that. But we know that cold weather eventually will get here. Uh, So it's maybe (laughs) time to also think about putting some mulch around these shallow-rooted plants. Uh, like like azaleas and maples, boxwoods. Absolutely. You know, because you do want to insulate that root system. Mm-hmm. Now, and it doesn't matter what kind of mulch. People ask that all the time. What's the best mulch? Uh, there's really no such thing, in my opinion, of a best mulch. It's whatever mm-hmm. you prefer. You know, because there's, you know, shredded pine bark. You know, there's shredded hardwood. Uh, there's pine needles and cedar, cypress, on down the line. Uh, so, yeah, but but my point though is, it's always a good idea before cold weather sets in to put some a light layer. Now, you know, some plants like boxwoods, for example, even azaleas, Japanese maples, that are very shallow rooted, they don't like a ton of mulch on top of their root system. Mm-hmm. Now, that doesn't mean that you can't put a little extra mulch around them this fall and take some of that off next spring because you're insulating that root system. That's what you're trying to do. Um, so. Um, while we've got decent weather, you know, go in there and, and put a little mulch down. And, my, you know, I've told you about the story with me and the soil conditioner that I yeah. used as my mulch, which is not the thing to use, by the way. I'm going to say <laughs> that every week that I'm alive, okay? <laughs> you know, I've, I've got most of that stuff raked out or blown mm-hmm. out, uh, and I've got a little bit more to get out. But I've got to come back and put a light layer of mulch down to insulate the root system of these plants. We don't know what kind of winter we're going to have. We never know around here. Sometimes, you know, the winter that we have will just burn the top. Mm -hmm. But if you get a cold, penetrating, you know, substantial, long period of cold weather, it penetrates the ground also. Yeah, and since we've had a hard year with the weather, um, that makes the plants a little more success, susceptible to issues in the wintertime because they're they're weakened. I mean, we were so rainy and wet, and then all of a sudden it was just dry, dry, you know, and then the heat lasted long, or in the spring yeah. the rain lasted a long time. Everything was a little abnormal. Yeah, it, was, it was a and, tough growing season. Yes. No, no. do you have a mulch of choice, Miss Faded? I mean, do you like the cedar? Mm-hmm. Do you like the cypress? Or do you just go with yeah. the old shredded hardwood oh, or even the you pine? Know, a lot of times it depends on the environment mm-hmm. of the look of the landscape the, of the shrubs and everything you planted, like pine mulch, uh, pine straw. I think it looks, I know it looks great blended in like with pine trees, azaleas, mm-hmm. you know, looks like that. But if there's uh, a lot of pine trees and things like that, then I don't want to go with uh, the brown mulch. Mm-hmm. See, I always like to try to make the mulch match the landscape. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, it. and I, it's funny you said that because uh, driving down Shady Grove the other day, there's two or three pine trees in this lady's front yard. 
and they're using pine needles as mulch. Mm-hmm. Well, they're probably getting it free from the pine trees. Right. But it looks natural. Yeah. You yeah. know? Still neat. Last oh, yeah. Week. Yeah. And maybe that's why I'm not into a lot of these really colored mulches. Oh, no. Because, I mean, it's nothing wrong with them, to be mm-hmm. honest with you, but it just doesn't look natural. Yeah. Um. So, you know, I'm usually either pine hardwood are the cypress. Yeah. Now, the cypress is a very light-colored mulch. D- that would probably be my second You know, favorite. I mean, it's mm-hmm. it's not it's just not that dark mulch and you know yeah. that we're so used to. Mm-hmm. It's a very light-colored mulch. And then the hardwood is your natural brown. And then the pine, of course, it just looks like the side of a pine tree. Now, between all three of those, the, the let's just say the hardwood, for example, it's more shredded, so it doesn't tend to float quite as readily as, say, as pine bark does. Yeah. So, you know, so know. keep that in is mind, pine, too. It's like, is pine bark still available? Oh, you yeah. Know? Because it does, it floats, and then when it dries out, it seems to look, the little chips start turning gray <laughs> instead of brown, and I don't know, I just think about... Um, so I, I mean, think that so does that sound like that's my least favorite? Exactly. Yeah. So, but 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 my whole point though is, guys, it doesn't matter what mulch you put down. You just know that you know the pine is going to float a little more readily than say cedar, cypress, hardwood. Uh, but it still doesn't matter. It's a matter of preference. Mm-hmm. But I'm thinking these shallow rooted plants. No one knows what kind of winter's coming up. Go ahead and insulate these beds now. Right. And like you said, it doesn't really matter what mulch you use, but it does matter how much, how high it is or how much you pack it against the plant that matters. And we were talking about uh, soil prep a while ago. And one thing that when someone comes into the garden center to buy things, shrubs and all of that, if they have a foreign accent, then I remind them, we have to prep soil here. I'll tell you about it later. We'll be right back. Mid-South Gardening. Okay, so I said people come into the garden center when they speak a foreign language. Maybe the better words with accents. And you, you said know. that you better make sure that they know about our soil conditions yeah. around here. And you got to tell me. what's. It was so cute. There was um, a family from Australia, huh? and the daughter moved here for a job. Mm-hmm. And so the mom and the sister were here shopping. And and the mom definitely you could tell she knew what she was doing she picked out great different things and all loaded up and ready and of course i'm going to tell them about the compost because you just can't let them leave without knowing that they've either got compost at home and about the soil amendments yeah and she was like what's compost (laughs) and i said so where y'all are from do you have to add anything into your soil and she's, they're just looking at me like, where are we going with this? Yeah. And they were like, no, we don't have to add anything to our soil. I go, well, let's, let me tell you about Memphis soil. Yeah. And, you know, there's other areas that have soil like this. But most people that come in that speak with an accent instead of southern accent don't have to you. prep their soil yeah i mean it's just like that now was <laughs> this bottom line was this stuff that was going in like outdoors in beds yeah, yeah it was going in beds and they were going to well they were making the beds and all of that 
uh, lining them up with things, but they weren't amending at all. They were just going to dig and plant. No, and, that would have been horrible. Yeah. Depending, but, well, unless they were already doing it in beds that had been prepped before, mm-hmm. but even then. Yeah, you still have that to soil compacts on you. Yeah, especially when it's a new place they've moved into, so you don't know what it's all about. And so they are go. they did go home with a good amount of compost, but the thing was to explain is when we dig a hole or dig the dirt out, it really seems like it's good. Yeah. You know, you're thinking, well, this is nice. Sometimes. <laughs> yeah, sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes it's just shovelfuls of chunks of clay. Yeah. yeah. But it's, you know, crumbly and all, and you think, well, this soil's decent, and it just goes right back to hard pan. You know, when we're taking it out, loosening up, it seems good. Now, in, and of course, we tell people there's no such thing as bad compost, okay? Right. I mean, there just isn't. So, you know, when you dig a, a hole for a tree or shrub, and I'm sure you told them all this, Veda, usually, you know, it's just as deep as the root ball, one and a half to two times as wide as the root ball. But then you're talking about the compost, whether it's, you know, cotton burr compost mm-hmm. or cotton burr blend, uh, earthworm castings. I mean, uh, even yeah. soil conditioner, which is ground up mm-hmm. pine bark. Uh, you know, garden soil, any of those type products, you, you have to amend that clay yeah, uh, to, to bottom break. Line, exactly. Yeah. You just got to make it more. And it's all about the drainage. Now, yeah. it's good for the the life of the soil, too. Don't get me wrong, the microorganisms and everything. But it's usually all about drainage. And that's why we're telling people to add these soil amendments. Clay is a good thing. It always has been, always will be. Jim used to say that every day. Mm-hmm. And it kind of makes your, you know people scratch their head. Why is clay so good? Clay holds moisture, sometimes too much. Clay holds minerals, Mm -hmm. nutrients, everything else, but it doesn't drain the way it should, typically speaking. And that's why we're adding these amendments. You probably saved them. Well, first of all, you saved them all that time and effort Mm -hmm. that they would have put into putting these things in the ground, Veda. A year from now, half of them probably would have been dead, quite honestly. Right, right. If you didn't just take the time to prep that soil before they plant. Yeah, because it was like a couple of camellias. (sighs) You know, I was like, oh, I got it. And there, it was, these were the October glory that had seemed like a thousand flower buds on the plant and getting ready just to bust out bloom. And I can't wait to see these. But, but other, you know how camellia, some things, yeah. and we say this, some things has, they have to have good drainage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, have to. Camellias being one of them, right. boxwoods, Japanese maples, azaleas, and then we start Cherry thinking, trees, well, really, what does it? You know, right? Yeah, right, right. What does it? But if you're planting hollies, you don't have to go to the extent, I would say, of um, amending the soil. You could go. Like some things when you're mending the soil, you do it like a quarter of compost Mm -hmm. with the soil that you took out. You know, that could be for hollies. Mm -hmm. And then a lot of times you go up to half of the the clay soil with compost. And then sometimes you go up a little bit more. So there's different amounts of compost you add a lot of times depending on the plant. Well, or you can just have a format where you do it all exactly the same. Mm-hmm. You're never going to create too much drainage for any plant. <laughs> That's You true. know, even plants that don't mind wet feet. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm always on the belief that you're better off having better drainage than not. And like I said, and, and it confuses people on what product to use when they're amending their soil. And that's why we just mentioned there's a lot of different products mm-hmm. you can use, and they're all good. Right. So um, you're saying, you know, may as well just 
use the same format. Absolutely. Sort of like I would say when you're cooking. Everybody can use like the same format and it tastes good. But if you want to change it a little, make it more gourmet, then you can kind of focus on exactly how you want to mix your soil. Yeah, the only reason I would say not is like if you live down on the river, for Mm -hmm. example, where they have much more of a sandy loam. Yeah. Then you're, you're, you know, you need to add more body to your Mm -hmm. soil, you know, more like a garden soil, if you will. Uh, But typically speaking, other than, you know, the sandy banks of the Mississippi Mm -hmm. River, uh, everywhere else around here, it's more clay. Mm -hmm. Uh, And you got to break that stuff up. It is. Done a, a number of plantings on the on the homes on the river what is that arbor town harbor yeah, town yeah. arbor town harbor town yeah i always want to call it arbor well i we'll, mean you har- can get what by with that harbor town yeah okay so i always call it back and you've done work down there yeah. before when you were doing landscaping right and so <laughs> i mean it's a beach yeah. in some places it is a beach and uh but it so it drains too readily right yes and <laughs> You can't there. You just can't get anything to grow in that, uh, except for plants you see on the beach, <laughs> which there's not. <laughs> Maybe some sea oats. Yeah, but exactly. Not, a lot, not everybody wants exactly, those, right? Right. Oh, but you know, I did go. Where was I? in Florida? I don't remember which beach, but there was gallardia blooming just beautifully before, like the uh, the barrier before wow. you get to the beach. Just gallardia everywhere, and I thought. Man, we definitely need to improve drainage to make Gallardia do well. It doesn't just like it dry. <laughs> it likes the moisture to come off the root ball faster than than other plants. Well, you're not kidding. But but that's what I'm saying. I mean, when it comes to drainage, guys, just as long as you're adding those soil amendments in there, you can add the same amount on every hole that you ever dig. You can use even the same products. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's all about improving the drainage because I'm telling you, People spend their their effort, their time, their money, create. I mean, buying these beautiful plants, these mm-hmm. shrubs, these trees. You do everything just right, like we've always said, Veda. Everything just right. Find the perfect spot to put them in, but you don't spend or you don't take an extra five minutes to amend that soil. Everything you did is just mm-hmm. not. It, it, you're wasting your time. Or how about the time that you do everything right, literally, and it still dies? It can. It's called Mother Nature. It can. It's it's just that can happen. That can happen. There's so many. There's a lot of things that you look at and go, well, I can tell it wasn't root rot. I can tell it didn't dry out. I don't see any insects on it. The color looks, um, well, the color couldn't look good because it was dead, but why why did that one die? I mean, and it hardly happens that way, but even mm-hmm. transplant shock, mm-hmm. you know, or plant shock, if you will, when you take a plant out of the pot and you put it in a new environment, some of these plants, you can plant 10 azaleas. The one in the middle, for some reason, had transplant shock. It mm-hmm. just didn't make it. And you're right. Some of them, it makes you scratch your head and it doesn't make any sense. But typically speaking, if you do your homework and do everything the way you should, especially amending that soil, You'll be fine. And then the th- it's also bizarre but true. Sometimes a plant, no matter what you do, won't live in that location. And then you dig it up <laughs> and move it to another location. And it's awesome. And, I mean, it could be six feet away in the same uh, shade environment or sun environment. You know, the, sa- the environment's the same, but you just move it, and it seems to do better. And Or how about people that 
Uh, like this one guy comes in, he can't grow calatheas. He can grow everything, the hard stuff. Every house plant known to man, right. but he can't grow, grow calatheas. Yes, or um, some people, they can't grow cactus. Mm-hmm. Well, and but then there's like, how many stories do I hear about that? I just, that's just a plant I cannot grow. Yeah. But it's easy to grow, but they just cannot grow it. And I get it. I have a, a few plants like that, too. Just forget it. I can't grow Well, it. and you hear people talking about, like, dogwoods, for example. You know, we've mm-hmm. always grown up hearing that dogwoods were so finicky. Yeah. Well, not really. Mm-hmm. You know, not if you do the prep yeah. work. And that's really what it comes down right. to. Dogwoods hate wet feet. They won't mm-hmm. tolerate it. And full sun, really, right? You know? At first, yeah. So it's not that they're that finicky. It's just that you have to... Do everything right on the front end, and then it comes to water. You know, it's like all these varieties of plants and these ornamentals and all of that. Back how long ago? I mean, all this, the industry just started having more and more things. So we weren't quite, or our parents were, they didn't understand what we understand now because we spent so much time Uh, planting all these new things and preparing soil and the drainage and all where back in the back in the day (laughs) the day yeah the day that we didn't understand how much was involved and that's why we think some things are finicky yeah you're right you're exactly right and they're really not yeah they're really not all right we're going to run to a break y'all can uh, post a text on facebook live Uh, call us 260-5926 Test, yeah, test. Yeah. Are we here? Okay. All right. we are. All right. And John, sorry about that. I know yeah. you dropped off. But uh, if you call back, we'll all be good to go. We were having some technical difficulties, if you will. Oh, it was all Ken's fault. No, I had nothing to do with that. But no, Philip's taking care didn't. of us, though. Yeah. I also had to text her, Audrey Fielding. She texted in. So I'm planting my pansies, right? Digging uh, a hole and ran into a grayish brown uh, in my soil. Uh, I dug all of that out and amended the soil. And then she said, mold, question mark. Oh, it see at first it sounds like to some of our gray clay. But like you said, you've got to go pretty deep for that. You do too. And you're really not doing that to do your pansies. And we know that she's a, a good gardener. Yeah. We know. And I mean, could it, like you were saying, is it old mulch maybe that was worked down in by chance? I mean, like you said, if you're digging holes for pansies, you're not digging that deep, okay? Mm -hmm. And if you're seeing kind of a brownish, grayish, fibrous mycelium, Mm -hmm. like you were talking about, Veda, uh, I don't don't think it's really anything to worry about. She's taking it out, but I don't think it was actually uh, what they call it. It could be a mold, Mm -hmm. but I still don't think it was, it's anything that's detrimental, Audrey. Yeah. I, I would just, you know, add a little compost in there, uh, work it into the soil really good, and just, you know, continue planting your pansies. I guess there's not a way to post on Facebook Live a picture. They probably wouldn't want to have it that way anyway, because you may be getting pictures you didn't want. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, when you know, a lot of times, especially if you have beds that has that has had mulch on it, uh, I mean, you know, those top three or four inches of soil is where you're going to find... <laughs> you know, a lot of bacteriums and, and so forth in there. And most of them are beneficial. Yeah. Only any of them are, uh, in this case, detrimental. Right. If your plants <clears throat> weren't suffering before you took them out, then I would say it's fine. Yeah. You know, just always, always add compost, break it up, take it out. Like if there's a chunk of something, just take it out. Yeah. Because if it was like that gray clay, 
then I would still chop it up real good and mix the compost with it like yeah. if it wasn't a lot. <clears throat> so I, Which I don't bizarre. think it's that great clay, no. though. So, Audrey, I mean, I don't think it's really anything to it. Now, what you can do if you really just want to make sure and sure and make yourself feel better, you know, is, you know, add some compost in there and go back and plant your pansies like you're doing, Audrey. Come back and lightly mulch them in. And then you can even pour a fungicide in the bed, whether it's mm-hmm. liquid copper, dacanil, something broad spectrum like that, in case it is a, you know, a mold or a bacterium that's detrimental, which I really don't think it is, to be no. honest with you. Uh, I don't think so either. <clears throat> okay, so we had John call in, and if you want to call back, we're good to go. Um, so I'm thinking that this, well, yeah, we were talking about the soil still, and it made me visualize, and I, I never can lose this visualization of a place that had pansies planted and yeah. they were one they were jumbo six packs so they were small to start with but they were each little hole or each little pansy was looked like it was just squeezed and laying over on the ground and somebody they're like what's wrong <laughs> And the soil hadn't been really prepared. So they were just carving out these little holes and pushing this thing, this root ball down in in there. there. And and so Uh, it it was surviving, but it wasn't thriving or living. So a lot of times things are surviving and and they're going, well, it never grows. And you instantly know it's just a little bit on the soil prep. And so with that, you have to take those pansies out. You have to. They're never going to do. Just take them out rework the soil and most of the time you can reset them oh sure because if they're afraid you're going to kill the pansies you're going to kill them whether you leave them in there or take them out but so that's why soil prep is so important mm-hmm. but uh, let's just say pansies violas you know your your fall color that you're fixing to put in the ground like audrey's even doing you know yeah add a little i mean now a lot of our beds have been prepped so many times they have really good soil in them okay mm-hmm. i still always add a little compost back in there every time i plant yeah because the plants take the nutrients out of the soil, maybe not all of them, but a lot of them. So when you're adding a little compost back in, you're replenishing. Right, and also yeah. the microorganisms in the soil break mm-hmm. that compost down, okay? So compost eventually will just kind of get depleted, if you will. Man, you know, we sure sound in intelligent with our microorganism words. Well, and but it's true, Because though. we didn't ever discuss that. Yeah. Okay, we've been doing the the show 27 years i think and like the first couple of years or so you never said mycelium you never said my microorganisms i would say so get that, the get the shovel put a good sharp edge on it yeah. go out there and dig a hole <laughs> throw in a little topsoil and call it a day yeah, right yeah, a little compost and we'll we'll be done with that but that just shows how much we have learned through i mean technology my powerful microscopes i mean how do you figure out there's a billion microorganisms yeah. in a tablespoon of well, soil? Soil science, I'm telling you. Yeah, exactly. So we have learned so much, <clears throat> excuse me, and all of our fertilizers now um, are either natural or contain some microorganisms in the soil. And it's labeled on the bag because that's very important. And you wouldn't have available more microorganisms if you didn't 
prep your soil. Yeah, and if I was going to feed my pansies, I would use something like the pansy food or the bedding plant food, fertilone bedding plant food, or the Espoma Biotone, mm-hmm. uh, the starter fertilizer that's got tons of mycorrhiza in it, which is that beneficial fungi. So, but, but yeah, you want to feed them and get them off to a good start. You know, I w- I'd be a little afraid to go in there and use something like a triple 13. Yeah. Because I'd probably burn every one of them up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and that was another thing, too, is all the types of fertilizers and things that were made, we didn't really understand how to use them either. I almost think there's not as many issues that people bring in now as they used to, or there's different issues. I mean... It's well, just changed well, the so products, much. I think, well, the products are better. Yeah, and so it's helped alleviate. All right, we're going to take a break. The garden help you need. Now, Mid-South Gardening on the Mighty 990, powered by Palladio Home and Garden, with your hosts, Veda Vance, Kenneth Mabry, and Jim Crowder. Good morning, gardeners, and welcome back. Thank you, Philip, for being so great, taking care of us, our program director. Um, you know, you just can't argue with computers. No, they just you cannot. They won't. So but, I'm Veda with Palladio in Memphis. Yes, yeah, she is. And I'm Kenneth with Dan West Garden Centers right here in Memphis, Tennessee. Miss Veda, fun time of year. You know, the weather finally cooled down a little bit. And I love when you say it's fall, y'all, because I officially know that it is it's fall, right? Fall. I'm going to say it is fall, y'all. And, and people are planting their pansies, their violas, their panolas. Uh, you know, the wonderful ornamental cabbage and kale. They're planting trees and shrubs, uh, you know, because this is a perfect time of year to do that. Uh, just a lot of stuff that you can do. Uh, but like we were talking about in the first hour, the main thing to take away from that is really just soil prep, soil prep, soil prep. And if you do that, uh, planting, when, especially when you're planting your trees and shrubs, even your bedding plants to some extent, you know, you do need to prep the soil. Now, one thing that we didn't tell you about, and we do from time to time, is also when you're planting in containers. You know, whether you take all that potting soil out and re and add new potting soil, you necessarily don't have to do that, but you do want to go in and kind of re-fluff it. Yeah, re-fluff. <laughs> yes, re-fluff. Fluff and buff. Yeah, add <laughs> some more good quality potting soil to the potting soil you have and just kind of work it in before you come back and put your ornamental cabbage and pansies and, pale, and uh, you know, whatever fall color you're putting in there, right? Your pale. <laughs> Pales, your yeah. pale in there. Your kale, that's what it was. Yeah, and when I was talking <clears throat> about where you can eat your kale, there's like ornamental cabbage and kale, but then there's one <laughs> kale that is ornamental, but it's still an edible, just like you said, the mustard. It's ornamental, but it's still an edible, but not all the kales are edible, just this one, and it, it's got long leaves. It's a per, It's a blue-gray-looking uh, plant. I, I just visualize it as the middle uh, centerpiece of your pansy collection in your container gardens, because, that, again, that's going to last all through the winter. All right, so I've got, I wrote some notes down last night, Miss Veda, about f- fall interest plants, okay? And typically when we say fall interest, we're talking about plants that have really pretty foliage in the fall, yeah. which so many of our plants around here do. But these are a couple plants that have beautiful berries in the mm. fall. Uh, and we're talking about the deciduous hollies, of course, you know, the winterberry. Uh, there's one called red sprite winterberry. And that one's fantastic. It, you know about it. It's mm-hmm. beautiful. Uh, of course, it is a female deciduous holly, mm-hmm. uh, meaning it's the one that has the beautiful berries. It's always the females of the plant world and also the animal world that look mm-hmm. great. 
Yeah. You know, typically speaking. Right. Yeah. It is. Isn't that bizarre? Thank you. But the red sprite, you're welcome. (laughs) The red sprite uh, winterberry uh, is a dwarf deciduous holly. It only gets about about three foot tall and about four foot wide. Well, or should I say three Mm -hmm. to four foot tall and two to three foot wide. See, isn't that amazing where it's not going to be eight feet? Yes. Yeah. And then... You were probably going to say you need the pollinator. You're, that's, that's my next line mm-hmm. here. And, and they definitely need a pollinator. And the pollinator, the best pollinator for a red sprite winterberry is the Jim Dandy. And the Jim Dandy is the male version mm-hmm. of this deciduous holly. Because if you don't have a male pollinator out there, you're not going to get the berries. Right. And that's the only reason, in my opinion, that you should have a winterberry. <laughs> exactly. That's because a- when it, they're, they're, they're nice looking plants when mm-hmm. they don't have beautiful berries, but come on, that's yeah. the reason we plant that's these right, things. Right, right. So and- remember, red sprite, which is more of a dwarf variety of deciduous holly, like Veda was saying, it's not the possum hall that's mm-hmm. going to get 20 to 30 foot tall. This gets three to four foot tall and about three foot wide. Make sure you plant a gem dandy out there somewhere near it. And these pollinators, these male pollinators like Jim Dandy uh, that you need for the red sprite, they'll pollinate up to like nine different hollies. You know, you can plant yeah, just nine females yeah. to one male, okay? Uh, so <laughs> Go figure. Yeah. Uh, so, and um, yeah, and it, like like when I ordered them, I made sure I had a male and female, sets of every. So absolutely. if somebody just wants to buy one, I'm going, no, you can't. And then another one that's called uh, Winter Red, Winterberry. Mm-hmm. Uh, red Sprite's the dwarf, Winter Red. It's regarded as one of the best winterberries out there. And this one gets about six to eight foot tall. And it needs a pollinator by the name of Southern Gentleman, okay? So it, it's... It's pretty important, guys, when you're talking about these deciduous hollies. Now, some deciduous hollies will pollinate from just other hollies that you already have, whether right. it's a Burford holly, a Mary Nail, Needlepoint, whatever. A lot of times they can pollinate a deciduous holly. But these in particular, you know, if, if you really want to ensure that you get those beautiful berries uh, every fall and through the winter, unless the squirrels and the birds get them, uh, you've got to make sure you have that male pollinator right. out there. Yeah, I wouldn't want to take the chance. I would want to get both of them oh, yeah. and plant them. And then if you do just go with one and you don't get berries, you can still buy another. It's it's not going to it's gonna help. It's not going to, what am I trying to say? I don't know what I'm trying to say, well, Kenneth, but I'm just, so I'm, just, just, just well, go I'm just, for I'm me. telling you, there's <laughs> nothing out there, Vaden, you know this, there's nothing out there that looks as as good as these deciduous hollies. Now, these are hollies that have smaller leaves. Uh, they, they drop their leaves, of course, in the fall through the winter. And that's when you see these just loads and loads of these red berries. Yeah, that's <laughs> the one that you use for your Christmas decorations. Oh, absolutely. Now, I've heard, and I don't know mm-hmm. if this is true or not, but I've seen squirrels, like, flipping out and just going nuts after they eat these berries. <laughs> I've seen some birds <laughs> flying upside down, it seems like. After okay, eating so have you really? Yeah, you yeah. said it seems like. Okay. No, but I mean, <laughs> I, I think these berries have something in there that get these squirrels drunker than Cooter Brown. And I'm, I'm telling you, they're <laughs> chasing their— Have you seen their, Cooter Brown lately? They're shaking their head <laughs> when they're looking at you. They're chasing their tails. They're doing the most unusual things that you would ever see. And it's very comical, by the yeah. way, to see that. So there's another reason to get one of those plants <laughs> for the Comedy Act. But it is something oh to see, God. I'm telling but you. But I so. wouldn't suggest uh, humans trying no. to munch out on the berries and see if you have the same— um, reaction is squirrels and birds. 
Not a good thing. So remember those two guys, Red Sprite and uh, Winter Red. Red Sprite's more of the dwarf. Winter Red gets six to eight foot tall. And just know that you have to get a male pollinator if you really want to make sure you get those beautiful uh, red berries. But you need, everybody needs a deciduous holly somewhere in their landscape. And I got to be the first one to raise mm-hmm. my hand. I don't have one yet. Yeah. And I don't know why I don't, to be honest with you. I, but you know, why don't you? I right. don't know. Because wow. it's something I never think about till I see the berries. Yeah, that is the thing. That it, and a lot of times places don't even get them in until the fall <laughs> because that's when all of a sudden we're thinking about the berries. We want to feed the birds. We want to have berries for the holidays. And, and you do, these need more sun than shade, guys. I mean, they'll, you can put them in part shade, but it, 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 the best berry production is going to be where they get, you know, at least six to eight hours of sun. So mm-hmm. I say put them in an area that gets a good bit of sun uh, for the best berry production you can get. I've seen them. Uh, I've seen other deciduous hollies, honestly, almost like an mm-hmm. understory shrub. Yeah. And they still get berries on them. But I want to put it somewhere where I can get the every, most berries possible. Yeah. Every single berry. Man, I, I know this is false that I didn't just get a little Christmas joy in my heart from thinking about red berries because to me, red berries are a Christmas decoration. Well, and like you said, Veda, a lot of times people would cut them and put them in pots, mm-hmm. uh, you know, as a, as a decoration. And then also for the wildlife, you mentioned both of those. And a lot of people plant them for those two reasons. Uh, in fact, if you read about deciduous hollies, you'll, every article that you read, They'll talk about how wildlife mm-hmm. loves it and how we use them as decorations. Yeah, yeah. and we do. We need to c- uh, collect that wildlife in our yard, actually. We really do need it because it sets a whole balance. And when I think a lot of people, when you go wildlife, they're thinking squirrels and moles and voles. No, there's so much more wildlife out there than that. Even wildlife you don't even think about. True that. And also, when we get back from the break, uh, James McCarter texted in. He said, have you ever heard of using steam to kill weeds i uh, saw it on mm. some british show so we'll get into that see another person with an accent the see? british i love but he saw it on the... a british british show yeah yeah someone using steam to kill weeds I and i totally, love it totally yeah me too oh this will be good we'll talk about it um after we get back from the break and so also y'all can call us at 260-5926 <laughs> Welcome to Mid-South Garden. Glad you can be with us this morning. Good morning, Kenneth. Good morning to you, Miss Veda. If you want to give us a call, it's really easy. 260-5926. 260-5926. And I promise you the phone lines are working now. And if you want to shoot us a text uh, on the Mighty 990 Facebook page, like Mr. James McCarty, McCarter did, uh, it says, have you heard of using steam to kill weeds? Saw it on some British show. I love that. I like the idea of anybody doing anything they possibly can to kill a weed. Oh, okay. I and, don't care. And I'm loving it that it can do anything possible to use natural. Now, mm-hmm. do I know of a gadget out there, Veda, that uses steam? I'm sure it would be hot yeah. steam, of course, to kill weeds. No. And iron? But I know run around with your iron. But I know of people that <laughs> you're <laughs> like, what? You I know, got it. It took iron? me a second. Yeah. But there are I know of people that have these flamethrowers. You know, they mm-hmm. buy these little gas powered yeah. flame throwers that they go out there and, and burn the weeds. In fact, I know a guy right now that's got one that uses them. So 
No, I don't. Um, Never heard of James, it, but I don't see how that would. How steam burns you. Of course it does. So it sure definitely would burn a plant. How about um, the the invention that I had seen or heard about where it's tractors that they lower their boom. Right. And it's uh, the boom is at the right height to where it electrocutes the weeds that are sitting above, like the cotton wow. or the soybeans. So it's never hitting the soybeans because they've got the boom adjusted properly. But it's got these electric nodes, I guess that that, and it's the sensors sense it out, and they just they zap them. Yeah, and so wow. Instead of a bug zapper, we've got a weed zapper. Oh, there you go. There you go. But I like the idea of James. Uh, I mean, I mean, what's wrong with steam? Think about it. I mean, yeah. steam is just hot water. You know, steam. Mm-hmm. You know, I wonder what they were using to create. I'm gonna that. do a little research on that. I've mm-hmm. never heard of anybody using steam. I've never seen a gadget like yeah. I said of people using that to kill weeds, but I guarantee you it sure would. Um, so, yeah, James, yeah, I'll do a little research that. on let's that. Let's try and that. And then we had a caller. Great question because this is asked a lot, but do you have to have a pollinator for every plant that we want to bury? No. Right. No. The, no. Thank the, goodness. Yeah, I mean, deciduous ho- hollies are dioecious. Means mm-hmm. It's funny. I think it means two houses. Two you houses, a, uh-huh, okay. You got a male and you got a female, mm-hmm. okay. And and on those type plants, you have to have a male and female. Uh, on most of your other hollies, Veda, you know the the Marinelles and the Burfords and the uh, Needle Points and Oakland, Oakleaf, mm-hmm. and on down the line. Um, no, you've got other hollies around there. Uh, in fact, the, even the flower itself might be where it's got both parts, yeah, the male and female. So you don't need to have Always, other a male yeah. and a female for those to to. To pollinate right. to get because berries. everybody has got at least one holly in their yard, practically, especially like you said, the Burfords, the uh, East Palatka. You know, does anybody plant East Palatka Probably anymore? Not, I no. know because there's so many other varieties of hollies, like the Red Robin. I like that one. Uh, it's not as large, but then you were talking back to shrubs and all. We were talking about shrubs in fall color. One thing we don't ever think about is like the hydrangeas have fall color. Mm. Um, lots of ornamental grasses do, like that Amsonia, Ansonia, that has some fall color. I was reading where somebody said, let it turn yellow and then cut it down because they were letting it turn yellow. The nutrients go to the roots and cut it down. But on this, this individual plant, you don't want to cut it down because I'm going to enjoy that color throughout the entire fall and it still has winter interest oh there's no yeah doubt about right it. and we're cutting by by cutting everything down cleaning everything up we're losing a lot of our winter interest yeah and i remember last year and years you know prior to that that there are plants that you just wouldn't normally think about even crepe myrtles there's some of the crepe myrtles that have mm-hmm. beautiful oh, fall true, color true, yeah. and of course the dogwoods i mean so we'll start seeing that I don't know how much exactly. fall color we're going to have this year. Yeah, uh, you know, with the drought, maybe uh, basically that we've had Veda. So we'll see. But mm-hmm. most plants out there, when that chlorophyll starts turning, I mean, they have some kind of other colored hue other than brown. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. but like you did, you had a good point because 
how intense is our fall color going to be? Because I'm looking out the windows right now going, do I even see fall color? No, but yeah, I'm seeing some. some. Yeah. yeah, I mean, we're just now starting to mm-hmm. see some fall color out there. So, so hopefully we don't go from almost fall color to all the leaves drop off. And then we, you know, have no color at all. But there are years. There's definitely years in this location, definitely years that the fall colors just fantastically beautiful and then there's years where we've got a little fall color going on and you can tell it's fall but it's just not as vibrant it's all about the weather also and let me say this about james a while ago he was asking about steam to kill weeds uh, which i love and i'm gonna actually do a little research on that see if there's anything out there which there probably is but uh, if you do have weeds in your yard now i just wanted to bring this up real quick um Typically, when we have a weed, you know, we have to determine whether it's a grassy-type weed that looks like grass, like crabgrass, or is it a broadleaf weed, anything that's got a leaf on it, like mm-hmm. clover and dandelions, right? Uh, you can still get out there and You're kill— You're making me choke. You can Clovers still, are weeds. <laughs> I know, Lord. You can still get out there and kill <laughs> broadleaf weeds— uh, with the broadleaf weed That color. was a quote, unquote, yeah. in the air. Yeah, broadleaf Yeah, broadleaf weeds. As <laughs> long as it's above 45 degrees, a product like Weed Beater Ultra or Weed Free Zone is going to work. Mm-hmm. Okay? Get out there and give it a good spray and come back 10 days, two weeks later and come back and do it again. And you'll kill most of those broadleaf weeds. Now, another thing that we're selling a lot of this time of year, Betty, you know this, are the pre-emergents. <laughs> and those are the products that you put down, usually granulated, put them down, water them in. And it will keep the weed seed from coming up later on. You do it now, wait three months, do it again, wait three months, do it again. And if you do that, you're preventing most of that stuff from ever even coming up. See, I'm still choking over you calling clover a weed. (coughs) So, because I threw clover seeds out. Yesterday, and I shouldn't have said clover because I knew it'd get her rattled. But any any broadleaf weed that you don't want in your lawn. Uh, you can use uh, these these broadleaf weed killers. Now, like you mentioned, Veda, you know, clover, a, a weed is a, it's only a weed if it's growing where you don't want it to right. grow. Because the clover in the middle of my flower bed, I would be, well, that's kind of got to go away. Bermuda grass in your flower bed is a weed. Boy, that's so true. Bermuda grass in my lawn is not. You know, I wish that zoysia grass was not like double the price of Bermuda. Because we do Bermuda because the pricing is right. The pricing is good to, to sod a Bermuda lawn. Or you can do seed, too, which uh, is virtually not even expensive no. to do that. But with zoysia, and so I don't want to use Bermuda because of the simple fact of how it takes over very, everything. Very aggressive when, yeah. it, when it gets around beds. Exactly. Yeah. But the zoysia. A little slower growing, right. a thicker turf. Uh, but it does cost more, though, Veda. It does. It does cost more. It's, so, um, I mean, when I say more, I mean, typically, you know, if you buy zoysia sod, it's always going to cost a little more. If you buy zoysia seed, it's going to cost a lot more. Okay? So it's just it's just that way. Here, you want to drink water? I'm leaving. <laughs> I'll be right back. She'll be right back. So, um, but, yeah, I mean, like Veda was saying, you know, weed is only a weed if it's grown where you don't want it to grow. But you can kill uh, broadleaf weeds this time of year using those broadleaf weed killers. But I still think it's really important to put those pre-emergents down. I just totally left you. <laughs> Couldn't help it. With sinus haste that time of year. Yeah. Happy fall, y'all. <laughs>
So, yeah, the pre-emergence, the man, if you don't put pre-emergence down, you just I can't even say. Well, what if you y'all want are. if you want a good weed-free lawn, you have to you use have those to. pre-emergence. Yeah, because well, just think what it saves you. It saves you even seeing the weed coming up and have the anxiety. Oh, no, here we go with the weeds. It saves you the time of uh, weed killing. And then if you don't have to spend uh, extra money on buying weed killers, then you've got that extra money to spend on a plant well, or fertilizer. Well, but you're right. But there's also a footnote there. Uh, the pre-emergence will control weed seed. Now, there are some weeds out there that are perennial weeds. They'll come back from the root. Some, back, some weeds come back from the root and the seed, okay? So just because you put a pre-emergent down, which I highly uh, say you should, doesn't mean that you won't have any weeds come up because some of them yeah. are actually coming up yeah. from a root. Right. So don't be frustrated, but we are reducing the amount of weeds um, when we use a pre-emergent. A pre-emergent is like really four times a year to start. At least three. Yeah, at least three. So, and then also thick grass, thick lawn keeps the weeds from coming up. So if you're getting more weeds than you have lawn, it's not the weed problem. It's the lawn problem. Well, it could be you have a lawn that's growing in too much shade. A lot Mm -hmm. of times it's not getting the proper amount of light. You have a lawn growing where the pH is not right. And that's a Mm -hmm. simple fact of just putting lime down, Veda. Yeah. You have a lawn that hasn't been fertilized ever. Uh, I'm not saying that you ever have to feed your lawn. I love feeding my lawn about every six weeks during the growing season. But if you're doing all those things, Veda, in the moisture, if you've got a good, thick, healthy lawn, like you were just saying, Mm -hmm. you're not going to have much of a weed problem. Yeah, and I can definitely tell you that's a fact. (laughs) It's a fact. I have that, um, a yard, I had a yard that was just beautiful and i did it all with organics so the lawn was always thick mm-hmm. and i would see a weed here a weed there and we're always going to have here's a weed there a weed everywhere weed weed okay i don't know why but that just but that's how She's it feels singing. i just start coming up everywhere but no i didn't have a lot of weeds like that and it also i used organic all organic products and that kept the grass constantly thick plus we did. I didn't mow it really low, mm-hmm. you know, and because mowing really low enables um, sun and all that to get to the weed seeds. Well, in bare ground, Mother Nature doesn't want bare ground. That's by right. The way. They don't. All right, y'all, hang on for a second. We're going to take a break, and you can call us at two six zero five nine two six. Good morning, gardeners. Welcome back to Mid-South Garden. I'm Beta with Palladio in Memphis. Yes, and I'm Kenneth with Dan West Garden Centers right here in Memphis, Tennessee. Good morning to you once again, Miss Veda. Good morning. And what's going on at Palladio's these Man, days? You know, <laughs> we're doing we got the house we have the house plants, the fertilizers, the uh shrubs, the fall color shrubs, fountains, statuary, bird baths. And you know, it's coming up, you wanna probably you know, something we do is winterize fountains. Sure. Because it's like people winterize their irrigation systems. Right, exactly. So probably get on the list, mm-hmm. you know, to start getting that done. Because you know, 
it's like up to Thanksgiving, pretty much your your fountains and everything are okay. But it's kind of like putting Christmas lights up. Companies start now because they have so many to put up. Doesn't mean you have to turn them on. But the same with uh, your fountains. Sometimes you need to get them winterized before the cold winter comes along because otherwise it's all the people at the last minute calling <laughs> trying to get squeezed in and all. So, and what does that curtail? I mean, well, mostly because you don't want your pump to freeze. Yeah. And you don't want it to, depending on the size of the fountain, the right, pump can freeze course. or burn up. But plus, water sitting in fountains and all, it could, you know, freezes. Have freezes and it, yeah. yeah. And a lo- some fountains, it can uh, leach down into the pores of the concrete. So it and expands that, and cracks yes, it. So typically, yeah. you're getting all the water out. Yeah, you're just getting all the water out. Uh, drink, make sure the water's out of the pump. And then there's uh, specially made tarps that goes over the fountain. I was going to say, so then it has to be covered somehow. Right. And we've had things where people have uh, covered on their own but they don't understand the whole process of how the tarp goes over the fountain and it's when it's rained real hard we had one where the water filled up only on one side of the tarp and pulled the the weight, pulled the fountain over. And bro- and of course, <laughs> of course, it was the husband's fault. Oh yeah, you know. So <laughs> him and the wife are in next year buying a fountain, and talking about it's his fault. He good Lord, we all live and learn, don't we? Yeah, yeah. And you know, it's something. And then when it comes summertime, we summarize, which means opening and cleaning. But actually, when we're winterizing, we clean too. We don't want just to leave a. a uh, algae yeah. pool sitting there in your fountain. So it's definitely something to think about. And of course, well, winterizing cool, your inner, it, yeah, it is. It's it's quite fun. Um, I, and then your irrigation system, because remember Cliff was on here from the, irrigation the doctor. doctor. Yeah. And he was talking about winterizing your irrigation system. And one thing that, and you know about it too, how they would blow the air out of the pipes. Which makes total sense, but some people don't do that. Well, I told you last week that I saw uh, this happening on a commercial setting, actually at a bank, and they were blowing the excessive water out of the pipes that were winterizing the uh, irrigation system. And that was before we got that rain, and I'm thinking, <laughs> hmm, I wonder if they're doing this a little prematurely out there. Oh, yeah. But like, like you no. said, Veda, there's so many that they have to do. You know, they can't wait till, you know, two days before a killing, you know, a, a really cold freeze to get out there and, you know, winterize these irrigation systems. they got to right. start now. Yeah, you definitely have to start now or at least get on the list for it. Yeah, and then at Danwest Garden Centers, I mean, it's kind of like Veda's saying, you know, it's just a great time of year to be out there planting, you know, trees and shrubs. And then there's always the annual color, you know, the cabbage, the kale, the pansies, the violas, mm-hmm. uh, the snapdragons, dianthus, on down the line. It's just a really fun time of year. It is. And a lot of color. People think that just because it's not spring, man, fall, even though you don't have as many selections to choose from when it comes to annual color, there's still a million colors to choose mm-hmm. from. How do you concentrate when I act like this? <laughs> <laughs> so, like, I'm trying to do Facebook Live You're on so my funny. page. So I've got to set the phone up, and I need to have a better apparatus to hold the phone. So I'm leaning against a paper towel holder. We'll wait till the next yeah. break. And so it falls over, and then there's a close-up of my face, and then there's a light <laughs> shining in it, and then it's just all over. So I don't even know if I want to do that. Well, you mentioned, of uh, house plants, you know, you know this as much mm-hmm. as I do. The last three or four years, you know, no one has ever 
sold as many houseplants as garden centers. Mm -hmm. In the history of garden centers, okay, people have gravitated to houseplants like I would never have dreamed. And, no. and it's wonderful. There are houseplants out there that I've never heard of. There are houseplants out there that are new introductions to the old houseplants that you and I grew up with, okay? Yeah, that nobody wants now. Yeah. Well, but this is a new introduction. This is the Alpine Chevalera, okay? Oh, yeah. So is the um, I mean, it says, you know, there's a new umbrella tree mm-hmm. in town, <laughs> uh, and it's the Alpine Chevalera. This is a new introduction from Asia, uh, a type of the umbrella plant. It has long, kind of like shiny oval green leaves that droop. Uh, gracefully from a single stalk resembling an umbrella, okay? To me, when I think of Chevrolet, I'm thinking of the one that we've grown up with for the mm-hmm. last 50 years, yeah. the old-fashioned Chevrolet. It's not that I don't like it. I'm just used to seeing it for the mm-hmm. last 50 years, okay? Right, exactly. So this is a Chevrolet that has much wider, longer uh, leaves. In fact, it looks nothing like a Chevrolet other than the way that the leaves are formed. Mm-hmm. You know, so Alpine Junior Chevalera, uh is the new sheriff in town when it comes to umbrella plants. Oh, okay. It's the only umbrella plant, you know, in house plants that I think about. So a new variety. Yes, right? and yeah. that's my point. There, there are so many varieties out there that are new to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm used to, you know, even the, think of the, even the ficus trees, for example. Yeah. When I was growing up, it was just the, the old-fashioned Benjamana, mm-hmm. you know, ficus tree. Right, and there's, and you know, a rubber tree plants in the ficus tree family. Yes. Isn't that crazy? And that's where that Audrey ficus looks real similar to the rubber tree. The fiddle leaf fig, you know, then that came on, on board, and uh, it's a great-looking, much bigger-leafed ficus tree or fig. The Audrey, like you just said, which I think is my favorite. Yeah. Uh, and not because it's something new to me. That might be the reason why. I just love the foliage and the way mm-hmm. it grows. Yeah. Yeah. It's not a not a dense, thick tree. It's architecturally pretty. Love it. And it's got like a white trunk, white gray trunk. There is one um, called Silver Sword Philodendron. And it's very, it's a, a, a unique one. And you can get it like in a four-inch pot right. for $20, right. $21. And it's going to take it a long time to grow to the, the size you want it because it's more of a, a, a slower grower plant. So you can get this little one for like $21, or you can get one on a pole for like $235. But they're the neatest looking things, though, I'm telling you. Because you can't, as beautiful as these are, and they'll stay like this. Because Mm -hmm. like we've got some on a pole, and the tops are growing out. So I'm deciding, do I clip all those tops back to let it still have the the pole look? The nice form look, yeah. Or do I let the tops grow out and, and start pinning them to the wall? And I think it's a situation, like I have been in someone's house that had a pothos, and you've probably heard this you know, before, yeah. in a container that is not very large. Yeah. But they have this pothos growing up over the window and down the window, and it's kind of, or it's like around the house, <laughs> like you're doing Christmas lights on the inside, you know, strung up like that. <laughs> We've all done that. Yeah. We've had that 
pothos or pothos uh-huh. in the corner in a hanging basket, yeah. typically speaking, mm. and it's coming down, and then you've got it going up around the windows in the yeah. kitchen, around the other window in the kitchen, up around. It's like we yes. use it as a border, if you will. Right. I don't know why we do that. We're just because we can't clip it. Yeah, uh, maybe. You know, we just can't clip it. And someone came in or was asking, because um, now they call them the strings now, the string of pearls, the string of dolphins, mm-hmm. string of turtles. So yeah. people call them the strings. And so he comes in and says, I have a, some string plants. And I'm like, well, which one? He's like the string of pearls. He says, but now, we're to- now we're talking slang, y'all, with yeah. the house plants. <laughs> right. All of a sudden. And then, so theirs was growing really long, but at the end of each one was the pearls, but up and down the whole stem, there were no pearls. It was just a string. Yeah. And he said, what do I do? And I said, cut it back all the way to where, you know, there's a, a group of pearls on there. And... He almost turned white, like, uh, you know, pale, like, I need to um, I need to cut cut this thing back, yeah. And I was like, well, no, you don't have to, but if you want it to be fuller, yes. I wonder why that did that, though. I mean, I've seen him do it. I know, and right when you said that, I just thought, wait, I wonder why that happened. And, you know, I'm thinking it was light situation. You know, it was just stretching to grow toward light, but there wasn't enough to give it the whole entire string and of it, pearls. Yeah, and if you've never seen a string of pearls, I mean, actually, guys, it's got these little green, uh, little like little small marbles that grow on a pearls. On, yeah, pearls. <laughs> there you go, size of a pearl, string of pearls, huh? But I said, can't believe they didn't call it string of peas. I know it, green peas. It, does look it looks like, like a sweet pea, yeah. like an English pea. <laughs> right. God, Veda. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, but yeah, I mean, sometimes get in there and cut them back, kind of like you were talking about the philodendron a while ago. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it never hurts to to it never hurts to cut a house yeah. plant. Uh, it's needed, really. It helps it fluff out. Right. We're gonna go to a break. You can call us at two six zero five nine two six. Good morning, gardeners. Welcome back to Mid-South Garden. Hey, Kenneth. Yes, ma'am. Why is it so hard to have a conversation with a goat? (laughs) (laughs) It always butts in. I get it. (laughs) Is that a hint to Uh Kenneth? (laughs) Uh-huh. Yeah, no. Um, And we were on the houseplant thing. There's another houseplant called Mikan. And it's a trailing, really pretty, pretty foliage on it, kind of velvet looking, mm. like a brown velvet. Gorgeous, gorgeous. And um, what other one? Oh, my goodness. Well, hold on, but what is just M-I-K-E-N? M-I-C-A-N. M-I-C-A-N. Yeah. And is it is that the name of the houseplant? Yeah, the houseplant. And then the Queen of Night. I've gotten one of those in. And this is a difficult one because it looks like it's a like a cactus, yeah. succulent. Actually, I don't know what family it's in, but it's the one that has the white star star blooms on it, and it blooms at night. Oh, yeah. um, and I have it on a pole. It's like five, four, five feet tall. Wow. But it's got a lot of growing to do to get mm. it to bloom like that. But that's a real, this is like, 
an easy plant to grow, but at the same time, it's something, it used to be something that you had to get from your grandmother or your mother. You really couldn't go buy it, but it was a clipping. But during shipping, a lot of the, the pieces fell off, so we're going to play with rooting them. Oh. Well, they don't, how does she say, you have to cut pieces off and just lay it in the soil, like you would a cactus or a succulent, then it'll start rooting. So I'm, rooting is such patience. Oh, it is. Yeah, especially succulents and all that. Such patience. But I tell you that. what, though, but I mean, there again, I mean, houseplants have come a long way. And there's some houseplants out there, God, that are different uh, than just the old houseplants mm-hmm. that we grew up with, like I said. Yeah. I mean, there's so many other variations of chevaleras and philodendrons mm-hmm. and ficus trees and the ones that, you know, I, I mean, honestly, I just, I knew of one philodendron growing up. Yeah. I knew of one chevalera. Yeah. I knew of one ficus. And there's so right. many more out there, and it's pretty cool, Veda. Yeah, one spath plant. Yeah. And, you know, this is what, speaking of spath, it's a reason why you can't do the uh, water. Everybody goes, oh, I just water once a week. And, you know, it seems to work pretty well for For the people. most part. Yeah. But say, for instance, in the uh, building we have, there's, man, how many varieties of spathophyllium are they? And we have one that's called Supreme that has really big leaves on yes. it. And then we have the traditional one. Okay, they're the same size bucket, but the one with the huge leaves has to have water more than the one with the smaller leaves. It's losing more moisture yeah, through the leaves exactly. than the other one. So there's a, a reason. So then you're looking at your spaths, and the one with the big leaves are wilting. So you water that spath, and then you water the other one because you think it's going to need water. <laughs> but it of did course. need water. <laughs> Yeah, so, you know, there's that's what we talk about when plants, let plants talk to you, let plants tell oh. you what to do. This one's telling me to water, but the other one's not. You know, we're on a schedule when it comes to watering our houseplants. My we wife are. is anyway, and she waters them. Like you just said, everything, every houseplant that we own is getting mm-hmm. watered once a week. If she does the watering then, okay? Right. And well, then, so that's better that she went on the drier side. I, I tell people every day, I'd rather see you slightly underwater than grossly mm-hmm. overwater. There's right. no doubt about it. Yeah, exactly. And in one respect, we we don't let them get bone dry unless they, they want to be that way. But we don't give them more water than not because we're actually not wanting them to grow humongous right there in the building. We're wanting to keep them just steady. So when you take it home, you can have it grow there. All right. So if you've got houseplants throughout the house, typically speaking, typically Mm -hmm. you go water around once a week for the most part. And then if you've got excessive moisture in a saucer after about 30 minutes, you typically want to get yeah. that water out of there, Absolutely, right? Absolutely, yes. So other than the watering aspect, Veda, you just want to also make sure that you keep them warm, mm-hmm. typically speaking. You want to make sure that they get adequate light. Yeah. Houseplants will almost grow anywhere you put them. Right. But to really be prolific, they do need the right amount of mm-hmm. light. Right. And then lastly is, uh, you know, some houseplants, you see them up against a French doors or, a, you know, a big window and they're pressed up there. Yes. <laughs> and those windows get cold. Yeah. Okay, so you can have some damage done that way. But the oh, same as with the heat, too, ex- going through. Yeah. A, a floor vent, you know, right up under a vent uh-huh. where they're just staying too hot, too yeah. dry. But, but for the most part, if you're just doing those simple things, 
good light, Mm -hmm. keeping them moist, not wet, good drainage like we're talking about, you can grow houseplants. You can. And I'm telling you what, I still go with this, the worm castings, because you can have it, you get it in a dirt form. You don't have to have it in liquid form. And you just put like a scoop. Three ounces. Just a nice little, just a light layer on top of your soil. Yeah, Mm -hmm. because it is really concentrated. Even though you're just putting a little amount, it's just like anything. You think it's not enough. (laughs) So you might add a little bit. A little bit's good. More's better. But you literally, in a couple of days, will see new growth on it. It's just amazing. And so the fertilization makes a big difference because it's a slow feed. Now, you could put the earthworm castings on it now, you know, when you're taking it inside. And since it's a slow feed and the or since the plants aren't actively growing, they're they're not going to take that up fast. It's just going to be there constantly. Yeah. And do do you feed yours with big bloom or anything Mm -hmm. like that during the winter months? And if you do... You know, you yeah. surely don't have to feed at all during right. the winter months. You really months. don't, and I really don't fertilize yeah. because... Other than your just, earthworm castings, yeah. a light later on top of those, every right. pot that you have, every container you have, you're doing that now, mm-hmm. starting that now. And then when in the spring, uh, whenever, you know, we get the longer days, yeah. more sunshine, things actually start to grow again, of course, you'll come mm-hmm. back and start using your either granulated fertilizer or your water-soluble yeah. plant foods at that point. Right. You know, sometimes they get too much light Mm -hmm. like we had a dracaena they don't mind darker areas they can go in low light let's not say darker but low light areas but we had one displayed and it was under a light closely under a light and it never grew so i took it out put it in the greenhouse uh, where it's not so intense the light right on it and it shot up i mean and when i'm saying this plant never grew it was six months it was one of those plants that you move here you move there it goes here it interesting goes there. are easy to grow yeah. and i'm like okay let's just get rid of it let's put it on sale I'm like, no i really like the color on this one i don't see this color mm. a lot move it here move it there it's like, okay, we've got to do something about just to the greenhouse. It's the plant. Just take it to the greenhouse, the recovery. And I go back, and it's just grown like eight inches or so. And then really the only difference was the amount of light that mm-hmm. it was growing in. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, you think, you know, you can't give a houseplant too much light. Well, I've also seen where if you give a house plant some of them too much mm-hmm. light, you, you also get a burn around yeah, the edge of the leaf. That's true. Also, the leaves become faded. Right. You know, right. you've seen That's that before. True. Yeah, that is so true. So houseplants are almost the same as landscaping outside. Well, you're you landscaping have, inside your right, house. Right. You can still have the vines like you do outside. You can have the blooming plants. Right. You can layer them like you've got a tall plant. And you know, like when we display, we have a really tall one <laughs> in in the middle. And then... Maybe on this side, one that's not as tall, and then you move over here, and it's a medium size, and then then over here, all in one area, there's a smaller container, and you do that on your patio. And then, Beta, you've got uh, plants inside that grow in more shade, Mm -hmm. and uh, plants inside that that grow in more sun. Yeah, right. Like you said, just like you do outside. I had a friend that, um, the African violet thing, everybody's always asking, how do I get the African violets to bloom? Well... We never feed them enough is what it is. Mm-hmm. And, of course, they do have to have more light than a lot. But I think the thing is with orchids and African violets, we're never feeding them enough to get them just to throw out the blooms. Yeah. Well, and think especially with orchids because they're growing in just like a barky material and everything you put in there just flushes right through it. This is true. When we get back, we'll talk about perennials and such 
and call us 260-5926. The garden help you need. Now, Mid-South Gardening on the Mighty 990, powered by Palladio Home and Garden, with your hosts, Veda Vance, Kenneth Mabry, and Jim Crowder. Good morning and welcome back to Mid-South Garden. We're in our third hour. We love being with y'all. I'm Veda with Palladio Garden in Memphis. Yeah, and I'm Kenneth with Dan West Garden Centers. And if you want to give us a call this morning, 260-5926, or go to the Mighty 990 Facebook page and shoot us a text like Jen Farmer Childers did. She said, Veda, you are the old wives' tale person, right? I heard that the brighter and more plentiful the berries are on the hollies, the more bitter cold the winter will Mm. be. Yeah, so we've, I did actually learn by reading some books on what goes on in the soil. Yeah. And really, the whole thing is, is first, uh, anything that berries or trees, they have a cycle. Sure. You know, like we think when there's a lot of acorns that are falling on the ground or the trees making a lot, and that means it's going to be a cold winter. That's really not the case. It's just the cycle the plant is in. Couldn't agree more. Yeah, and so the old wives tell, you know, they're like it's a, it's a superstition based on an incorrect fact. You know, is like, what they call it, but <laughs> there's a lot of wise tells that. See, I said why. It's why it's... It's either wise tale or wives tale. You look it up, and it's either one. Either one. Yeah. So Kenneth says wise. Yeah. And I go why, and I say wives. So no, um, you know, speaking from that aspect, it's not true that the more berries and all that you have, the colder the winter's going to be. No, I mean a lot of times that just happens. Yeah. You know. Yeah. But then I was like, well, that's just no fun. No. I like it's so much fun to sit around and talk about well. That tree had lots of berries this better year. Better bundle up. Yep. It's going to be a cold one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And a lot of times that does happen, but yeah. it's more happenstance than anything. Yeah, okay? that's it. So no bummer. But speaking of winters, let's see. The Farmer's Almanac says winter will be colder and dry. Aha. Uh-huh. Uh, it says winter will be colder, and Jan was wondering uh-huh. about all the berries on the trees. But it, Maybe it's not superstitious, but anyway, okay. <laughs> but they're saying typically overall, the Farmer's mm-hmm. Almanac, yeah. that are in our region of the country, is supposed to be a little colder this mm-hmm. winter. Drier than normal. Ugh. Near normal snowfall. <laughs> Which is zero, okay. Yeah. <laughs> So for the past, man, the past two years has been awesome with that snow. I mean, it's a mess. I mean, it's beautiful when it's coming down. But but it's a mess. The coldest periods will be in mid and late. Well, the coldest periods will be early, mid and late December. So wouldn't that be all December? Yeah. Okay. That's what I would say. The coldest periods are in December uh, through much of January and in early and mid February. Why don't they say December through February? They just see they're writing this so they can't be wrong, which is true every year here in the Mid South. Yeah, I'll say okay. I just didn't learn anything new. No, I didn't either. Okay, and I think the Farmer's Almanac is something like eighty percent correct. Seems like that's what I read. Eighty percent. No, that's a or was it eighty percent correct or was it eighty percent incorrect? I don't know. Now I have to check, but I'm pretty sure it was good. I mean, they're usually, you know, somewhat. I mean, they're, they they write in such broad terms, they can't be wrong. Yeah. You know? Yeah, that's the whole thing. Yeah. 
Um, it's going to be cold in December. Okay. And somebody writes, will it snow in Tennessee in 2023? And the answer is you can expect sleet, snow, and rain <laughs> that, through that's the my season. Point. <laughs> <laughs> but in Memphis, you can expect some summer days, too, yeah. All right, or Betty, spring. What do you think about camellias? What's oh your take gosh. on them? How can you not? Have a camellia. Yeah, and I... And how I can, just how can you not? It's funny. I was just making some notes last night, and I thought exactly what you just said. Yeah. I've never, ever had a camellia. Yeah. And, and I there's another plant for you. And, and I talk about... And I always say that camellias are one of these underplanted shrubs. Mm-hmm. And it truly is. But And I'm thinking, okay, well, I don't have... Why do I not have a camellia? Yeah. Or camellias, if you will. They're beautiful. Mm-hmm. They're evergreen. Uh, you know, they grow in high shade, mottled sun, filtered sun. Uh, they do need good drainage, guys, mm-hmm. like everything else around here. But usually when you're going out looking or picking out camellias, you know, for the most part, there's two big classifications. Yeah. There's the Sasanqua varieties and the Japonica varieties. There are other ones, but that's typically what mm-hmm. we're talking about. The Sasanqua varieties are the ones that usually have the smaller leaves and the smaller blooms, but you get a lot more bloom. The Japonicas are usually the ones that have the much bigger leaves and the bigger blooms, okay? Now, to me, the really the big difference is the Japonica or the Sasanqua varieties, I'm sorry, that have the smaller leaves and the smaller blooms, they're really more of a fall bloomer. Right, right, like the October glory that we have oh now. Even though the the flowers are smaller, like you said, way more buds oh, than yeah. the japonicas oh, bloom no in the spring. Yeah. yeah. And then the japonicas are usually your winter and spring bloomers, usually much bigger blooms like Taylor's Perfection. If you ever seen yeah. that thing bloom, you, I mean, you'd buy every one that you get your <laughs> yeah. hands on. I mean, you would. Uh, but it, it, it's just a matter of preference of what people like. But I'm telling you, I just... I don't know why, and I will. I'm going to change that. Uh, I'm I'm going to find a place to plant some camellias yeah. because it's just the the foliage is absolutely beautiful on them, even when it's not blooming. Uh, it's that this dark true, yeah. green, you know, nice shiny leaf mm-hmm. on them. There's so many different varieties out there. You can pick any color you want. You can really pick any size yeah, you want. There's some the that thing. only get four foot mm-hmm. tall. There's some that get 20 foot tall. Right, because tr- traditionally everyone thinks that they're going to get 20 or at least 10 feet. No. But there's a couple, a number of varieties that don't. The uh, Sandank Sasuki. No, what's Shishigashera? Yeah. Is that the Shishigashera? Yeah, that's the one that I've seen planted as a hedge. I saw it as a hedge in Louisiana. But that's where they grow them, and so you can just buy them right there for for way less than you do after they're shipped, and they get to your location because almost a camellia hedge would be pretty expensive. Yeah, but they're beautiful. But how many times do you have people come into the garden center, and they're describing a shrub that they saw driving down the street, and it turns out that it is a camellia? You know, yeah. and they're like, God, this thing is blooming. Yeah. What the heck? You know, it's like, it's, well, it's a camellia. It's incredible. Yes. It really is. So, guy, I mean, I'm just telling you, it's just one of those shrubs that we tend to overlook. We don't even hardly think about them until they're blooming. But those Sasankawas, when they start blooming this fall, and then those mm-hmm. Japonicas, when they start blooming later on, uh, there is absolutely nothing like them. The biggest thing is, like I said, just well-drained soil, high shade, filtered sun, and keep them out of that hot afternoon sun. Uh, and Jim used to always say, you know, keep them out of the, the morning sun also, mm-hmm. because when you had a heavy frost on that bud, if you will, and they're uh, getting morning sun, when the sun comes up, it'll crack the bud. 
So, uh, you know, that's why you, a lot of times you see them growing under storage, under the story of these trees mm-hmm. and so forth. Yeah. The, I know someone that has them facing northwest, oh, yeah. possibly. I'm thinking northwest. And then they also have trees. So and That's the, all that matters. Yeah. So the trees over is helping with the protection. And to keep them. the frost off of yeah. them. And, and to keep the cold north winter winds from mm-hmm. blasting them. Uh, it keeps them out of the sun, yeah. that afternoon sun. I mean, there's I've seen them all over the place in people's landscapes. It's just that, like I said, the biggest thing is to keep them out of that hot afternoon sun. Mm-hmm. Even though they'll grow there, yeah. especially when they get a little older, they kind of shade themselves. But uh, they tend to burn a little bit if you right. get them in that hot afternoon sun. Baby. Yeah, and I really believe that you'll have a few more blooms if they're not in that hot afternoon sun. Because they're working harder to, to live, survive. Um, so a lot of times that can take energy from the blooms. Yeah, and why plant it there if you know it doesn't really want to be there anyway? Yeah, yeah I get it. Yeah. Sometimes you plant it there. It's not that way. Then somebody cuts a big tree down, all of a sudden it is. Mm-hmm. Like I said, they'll still grow there. It's just not the best spot in that hot afternoon right. sun. I'm trying to remember. Oh, was it you where the neighbors cut down like 13 trees? Well, I was telling you about a person that came yeah. into the garden center that had lived there forever and had a huge, beautiful shade Mm -hmm. landscape. And their neighbor did also beside them. Well, the neighbor moved, and before the new neighbors moved in, they had all the trees cut down. And this lady was basically, I'm telling you, basically in tears telling me about it. I I would be. That's a lie. (laughs) That is a lie. What made me think about it was the camellias. They could be doing great. Then the tree comes down and they're getting that afternoon sun. And uh, then you're wondering, yes, because of what? How it doesn't always work like that. Yeah. Even if it's your fault, it's the neighbor's fault. Of course. Right. (laughs) So, yeah, if you remove trees or change the environment, all your plant performance are going to change as well. All right, we're going to run to a break. Again, you can watch us on Facebook Live. You can listen to us on podcast. You can also call us at 260-5926. Good morning. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. <laughs> Jan texted in. She said, so, she said the old wives' tales, they're like kind of like social media. Yeah, that's <laughs> so good, Jan. Jan, so if good. you think about it, and then uh, Audrey uh, Fielding, she texted in. She said, definitely it's wives' tale. No. Not so, wives' tale. So there. So but guess, you know, there. When you say it, you can't really tell if you're saying wise or wives. Hmm. So you no know. Pick and up then, then I saw uh, I heard if you say are women insulted by saying old wives' tale. I'm like, come on, man. Yeah. No, why would I be insulted because I'm saying a wives' tale? Even and maybe it's because it's supernatural. No, what was it? Supernatural. That's not accurate. So maybe they're saying that women are passing on things that aren't accurate. You actually so I read be that, offended. where yeah. some people are being offended when yeah. you say old wives' tale. Yeah, I'm like, oh my gosh. Well, get over well that. it's only offending if you're like that. Well, there you go. <laughs> I yeah. don't know. Stop on that one, right? Yeah. Okay, let's go to Jackie from Olive Branch. Good morning, Jackie. You're in the garden. Good morning. How are you? Hey, Jackie. Um, Good morning to you. Good morning. Um, so I've got an elderberry bush that I'm wanting to put out, and I need to know what what kind of lighting and weather it needs. 
elderberry. Yeah, well, more. Yeah, like the uh, more sun yeah, than shade for yeah. sure. And well drained soil. They're really, actually, really easy to grow, Jackie. Uh, and it's like anything else that we tell people. You know, dig your hole just as deep as the root ball, twice as wide. Uh, add some soil amendments to that soil, whether it's compost or garden soil. You know, you just want to add some stuff to that clay soil. Plant it and come back and mulch it in. But they are really easy to grow. They're fast growing, and they're really nice plants, I'm telling you. Yeah, so well, basically it could be full sun to part shade. Yes. Uh, yeah, so really you've got a lot of options to plant it. So uh, one more question. I had a, a landscaper come out and... He weeded our flower beds this last spring, yeah. and I didn't realize until afterwards that he put um, a, a pre-emergent on there. Right. Will that affect no. the plant? No. No. And it's gone, basically, if it was put down in spring. Anyway. Well, you're okay. right. Two things, Jackie, like Veda said. If, they, if he put a pre-emergent down, after three or four months, it's gone. But also, okay. if he puts a pre-emergent down, you can come back and plant a plant. Mm-hmm. Not a problem. You just got to be careful trying to put any seed in there because that's what it would okay. affect. Okay. Okay. Perfect. That's what I wanted to know. All, All right, Jackie. Thank you for the call. Thank, thank you, you Jackie. Have a great you. weekend. Great questions. Bye bye. You know, there's no bad question. No. You know, so I was thinking. I just said great question, and I hear it on all other shows. That's a great question. I'm like, well, they're all great. If you don't know, that's a great question. But elderberry. I mean, it's one of those you know plants that there again you just don't hear a lot about them. They so didn't, is that insulting to elderlies? The elderberries insulting to the berries. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. All right. Right. We're just okay. being politically correct here. Oh, that's impossible. All right, babe. Let me say this real quick. Um, you know, we were talking about plants with fall and winter interest. Yeah. And we were talking about the deciduous hollies. Mm-hmm. It's not so much the foliage because the foliage falls off of these plants. It's the beautiful berries. But there are some uh, plants that have great looking foliage, guys. Uh, well, and, thank you. You know, and ladies. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and one in particular is the, the burning bush, the Euonymus alatus, mm-hmm. or the Euonymus alatus compacta, which is the dwarf burning bush. Oh, you think you're all that. No, I'm you? just saying. You just you know, said alatus. Well, I'm just saying that, no, is that when people <laughs> think of burning bush, most of your burning bushes get pretty big. Huge, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, they, they can do. get and big, fairly large. Thick trunks yes. on them, like a tree, almost. Yeah, but there are some, like everything else, there mm-hmm. are some dwarf varieties out there. Thank you goodness. Yeah. So, but if you want something that's going to have that beautiful, just red foliage on it in the fall, and I mean, wonderful fall interest, to me more so than almost any shrub that's out there, um, get a burning bush, I'm telling yeah. you. Okay, so, so far, we you need to plant, and we got a lot more to talk about, but you need to plant the winterberries. Yes. Yeah, got to do that. We have to do camellias. Yes. They're good all, all year round. And then... Um, the burning bush. Yes. I mean, just think, you've got winter interest, fall interest, you're getting the berries, the burning bush is amazing fall color, and I don't see them as much as we should see them. You know, and you're right. I mean, I don't know why people don't use them in their landscape like it seems like they used to, because, mm-hmm. I mean, it's huge, it, right? First of all, it yeah. is so easy to grow. You can't mm-hmm. not grow one of these things, yeah. or you shouldn't be growing anything at all. But they have the, I mean, one of the prettiest leaves 
mm-hmm. that you can, on a shrub anyway, that you can find. I mean, it's just solid red. Yeah. I mean, it's beautiful. I'm you know, you. you can use their uh, stems and all as decorations. And but they've got that little wing on yeah. them, you know, on their stems. Right. So, so far you've given me also in my fall decor and my spring decor or winter Christmas, I've got the red berries I can use. Yeah. I've got the winged wood on the burning bush yeah. that I can use. So the blooms on the camellias yeah. that you can use. Yeah, that's right. And even the uh, dark green foliage yeah. looks pretty in arrangements. Okay. And then another one I know you can uh, touch on this also, Veda, is the Arctic Fire Red Twig Dogwood. Oh, yeah. Uh, and this, when people hear the word dogwood, this is not your typical tree-formed dogwood. Yeah, this is true. a multi-stemmed shrub, okay? Yeah. There's a, uh, and this one called Arctic Fire is the red twig dogwood. It gets three to five foot tall, three to five foot wide, full sun to part sun. These things can tolerate really wet locations also. Doesn't have to be mm-hmm. a wet location, but they can tolerate wet soils. Yeah. Uh, sun, they can do. Yes. I don't know if I, full sun, I don't think. Full sun to part I sun. Think you, yeah. Yeah, because that way you'd get the better color stem. Exactly. More sun. And yeah. then when they drop their leaves, what you're left with are these red stems, hence yeah. the word red. And red. then I've got the yellow stem. Right. So here's the thing. And a lot of people, I think Jim Crowder said he grows his for the stems. No other reason. Yeah. And you, exactly. Now, now the yellow one and probably the red one, I do see some fall color coming on, some purple in it. So that's a good reason too. But then, and you have to really do it. You have to continually cut the stems. So I'm going to have in my container, I'm going to have the yellow stems, the red berries, and um the camellias yeah the camellias and the burning bush yeah that's that winged stem yep. yeah so so far we've got a lot of things we can use in our decoration but those are great fall and winter interest plants like veda was talking about camellias you know we're doing that for mm-hmm. the bloom for the most part the red twig and yellow twig dogwoods we're doing that when the leaves fall off you're left mm-hmm. with those beautiful uh stems if yeah. you will uh, and then, of course, the, the burning bush. We all know that you get the great-looking red foliage uh, mm-hmm. on there. And Veda, these usually when we're growing, in, in my mind, when I'm growing uh, a landscape, I'm always thinking about spring and summer. Yeah, we end up always. doing that. I'm not we thinking do. about fall and winter. Right. And uh, winter's been one of the last categories people think of about. Of course. And then fall, we're kind of, eh, we'll get a mom, you know. And then all of a sudden, they're like, well, I don't have fall color, <laughs> you know. And it's really easy to do, just choose differently. Yes, it is so yeah, true. Right. And then, um, oh, well, let's do this one too. The more, the anemones for perennials, the anemones. Like the blooming. September charm. Yes. Anemone. It does have me charmed. Yep. It's beautiful, beautiful. It's a perennial. It comes back every year. There's Absolutely. a couple varieties. It's just gorgeous right now. And the toad lily. I saw it posted on uh, Mid-South Garden page, and then I have a lot of them in stock. I just can't even describe. And they're blooming right now. Yeah. I just And they're blooming all up the stem. And they're gorgeous. And it's one of those where it's kind of a... What kind of a purplish pink yeah, blue with the, with, with the spots in it? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So that's fantastic. Now, and you're gonna have to. Then we can kind of segue into some of the winter things, like the Lenten rose. You got to have a Lenten rose. It's Hel- evergreen. Hellebores. I mean, yeah. and, and and that's one of those perennials where years ago, 
Um, same thing, Veda. They'll, they'll take a perennial and they'll make it better. And what they mean by that, they'll hybridize a lot of these new varieties that come out. Even the, 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 the look of them are different on the new ones. The foliage looks different. The blooms are bigger. There are different colored blooms out there. So this is not just the same old Lenten rose that we bought 20 years yeah, ago. right. It's, wow, so many different foliages. You're right, and different colors. It's one of those things you can't figure out which one you want to get. You're right. Because, and the blooms are just there, winter, spring. And, and, and these are evergreen perennials, like you said, Veda. Mm-hmm. And once you get them established, they're going to move around, which is great. If you've got a shaded mm-hmm. area and you're putting these perennials in there like yeah. the hellebores, and, you know, you're, let's say you started out with 10 plants mm-hmm. you put in there. Well, years down the road, you're going to have a lot more than 10 plants. Right. I mean, there's all the little babies that come up off of them. Which now, is I've great. noticed that some of the newer hybrids with the not real— Not so much. Yeah, no. not so much, which is— Good also, because when all those babies are coming up around the Linton Rose, you can't have that many, so you're going to have to pull them out, and that's so painful. Yeah. You know, and so I've dug them up. They're really easy. If you dig them up and put them in a container, or they're really easy to grow. But they're actually. great perennials, though. And like you said, that's another one of those fall, winter interest bloomers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you need to try that out. Uh, then we've got... Um, the uh, uh uh the red leaf not the red leaf this sh- you were talking about the chamisha paris yes the yeah. night light the night light yeah now i've got i have the thread leaf the one that looks similar yeah and then you've got the n- night light but we'll get yeah. into that because so many plants now have some of that yellow tinge yeah. to it the reason behind it and whether we like it or not mm, and the reasons we, we do like it or don't like that it that sounds good the suspense through the break. Yeah. All right. We're going to run to a break. Or actually, we're sitting here, but we're going to have one. We'll be right back. Gardeners, welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. You know, I read something, and I think it's a really good idea, and I try to do this at the garden center some, but give yourself permission to spend one day enjoying your yard, but not working in your yard. Mm. That's so hard to do, because we tend to go and look for issues. There's no doubt about yeah. that, Beta. So is there a way that I can go out there and not look at issues? And the thing is, is what if you see insects? But see, if you're out in your yard every day, then you're usually taking care of those issues. And if you spend one day just enjoying your, just do it, y'all, just do it. If you see a weed, just don't. Well, enjoy your yard. But for also, one day. but look at it this way too, though, Veda. I think that's what gives us such great gratification is if I'm working in my yard. To, mm-hmm. Let's say today I'll go home and maybe cut it for the last time, and maybe weed eat it. To, mm-hmm. You know, just to get the edges where I want them to be. And, and get it all cleaned up and maybe put some mulch down. And then when you're done with that and you turn around, you're like, look around, you're like, okay, it looks yeah. good. Right. You know, so that is a good feeling also. That is. You know, is after the work in right. your yard. So the next day when you go out in your then yard, you, you can, should just look and enjoy. 
and just be happy there's always a project to do. Oh, but I, I agree with what you're saying. It's not, we can't look at it always as work, work, yeah. work. Enjoy I, your I landscape. Know, and it's a difficult thing because I'm walking through the garden center and I'm saying I'm going to enjoy today and uh, not start any projects because it's hard not to. But then you <laughs> walk over in this section and there's five dry plants. And so then, then you got to grab the hose, go out there and water those, and then you're seeing this, and then you're seeing that, and then all of a sudden you're deep in a project that you don't even have to do that day and forgot to enjoy. Well, but it, you know, if you look at good-looking lawns and good-looking mm-hmm. landscapes, it doesn't have to be just the grass, of course. Uh, yeah. You know, it, it is landscapes that that people have done a good, better work in, and they're constantly doing work in. Yeah, that's true. You know, so you can't forget that aspect of it either, Miss Veda. Oh, one more thing on perennials real quick is another thing is it's, this is a good time to divide daylilies. Yeah. Now, I've read that that some people will divide daylilies and wash all the soil off. They'll divide them, wash all the soil off, off and the replant them. But I don't think that's a good idea because you just wash off your uh, beneficial things that are growing. And then you damage the root hairs. You don't have to wash that soil I off. Know. You can just dig that thing up like you would a hosta, cut them in half, mm-hmm. replant them, and go about your business. That's what I do and had really good results. All right, well, before we move on the break, we were talking about a shrub called Nightlight Chemisoparis, right? Mm-hmm. Which is a type of Hanorchy cypress. And what made me bring this one up is mm-hmm. it's one of these, uh, kind of looks like an arbovita. Uh, doesn't get as tall as an arbovita. This and one in particular gets, what, four to five foot tall mm-hmm. and four to five foot wide. Is there, and it's kind of, Little, it would be a good replacement Christmas tree in yeah, a pot. <laughs> but, it's, uh, but it also has that yellow tint to it. Mm. And that's what's so funny about the color of yellow, yeah. when, especially when it comes to our landscape. Uh, you know, there's sunshine lagustrum, mm-hmm. there's Florida sunshine uh, elysium, anise. anise. Yeah. Uh, but a lot of times when we see something that is yellow-green, mm-hmm. we're thinking, I do anyway. First thing that comes to my mind is, there's something wrong with that plant. Yeah. You know? Right. Instead of looking at it like any other color, right? for some reason it's the yellow, and I guess because we associate that with People overwater their mm-hmm. plants. They turn yellow. If if plants need nutrient value and they're just you know anemic, yeah. they turn yellow, right? Yeah. Yes, but right. these are yellow for a reason. Well, it's like the experienced gardeners see it like that. New gardeners, they don't see it like that. I agree. Yeah, and that's that's funny how these preconceived notions stay with you forever. It is it, it is crazy, but I'm telling you guys, this nightlight chemisoparis, uh, which is a type of Hinoki cypress, you remember you and I were growing up with Hinoki cypress, you know, 30 years ago, yeah. just your typical green mm-hmm. Hinoki cypress. Well, I'm telling you, that's what I, the, I, I love this one because it does have that yellowish green foliage that turns to bronze right. in the winter, but the interior is still pretty green. It's a looser looking plant than a real tight, say, globe type mm-hmm. arbovita. Yeah. Uh, or a globiosa, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. But I mean, but they're great looking plants, Veda. And then I've like this the thread leaf Paris. and that one's looks gorgeous about too. the same as the nightlight. Yeah. And they're great for containers because they're evergreen. You know, one thing remember on the thread leaf is it's so cute, and you can just plant it as a border, and it's amazing. But it gets ten feet tall. Yeah. <laughs> Or yeah. 12 feet tall but, and 5 feet wide. So, no, it's not a border. And I've seen them planted as a border. 
but right. it still has that yellowish that mm-hmm. particular one that 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 the ends of it are that yellowish color and like i said for some reason there's a stigma there and people uh it's like you said veda if you look at it in a in a new way and you say well this is a plant that has good variegated foliage mm-hmm. which yeah. they do well i've told you this story before and I it was when I first started working at a garden center and I had moved to Texas and so I was probably 25 or so and I started in January which is a bizarre time to ever get to work at a garden center but I guess it's my destiny because I got hired in right. January right? right so of course the new person has cleaned the bathrooms oh yeah so I got I graduated from bathroom cleaning to <laughs> sweeping the floors yeah, yeah cleaning in the shrub area pruning dead off yeah. and all of that <clears throat> So um, I see these San Jose junipers, and they have the yellow tips on them. Remember those? I pruned the yellow tips off every that single one. Taste to point exactly yeah. what I was talking about. I was like, these, oh, they'll be so happy. I spent all this time pruning the yellow tips and going on about the business. They call me over here. Hey. Come here. <laughs> that stuff that you just tip, clipped off of there, it's supposed to be right. there. Right. That's what makes this plant valuable at yeah. this point. Now you've unvalued it. <laughs> but no, they were really, really patient. But yeah, the yellow thing, I just clipped all the tips off. And the reason I'm bringing this up is, guys, we just kind of need to get over, you know, the yellow look. I mean, the first thing that comes to our mind, and maybe because we're in the business, Veda, mm-hmm. maybe it's just us and not yeah. people, not people that just walk by and see a plant that right. has yellow. Uh, foliage, you know, yeah, right, yeah, and, and I just go back to thinking because because again in Central Texas there was uh, the soil locked up the iron, which is therefore caused things to be yellow. So when I move back to Memphis, and then as time goes on and we have more yellow stuff, I'm like you, I'm going, oh, watered it too much, oh, that mm-hmm. one's gone, or mm-hmm. iron, 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 we didn't need that much iron here. Mm-hmm. So yes, your point exactly. Yeah. So, but they but they are nice looking plants though, guys. And then for um, also some things that are good is the globosa cryptomeria. Love That's em. the small smaller cryptomeria because cryptomeria can be twenty feet tall. And, and cryptomeria on on its own are mm-hmm. great looking, either shrubs mm-hmm. or trees. Okay. You know, back in the day, we've talked about this before, it's documented, where we all had Leland Cypress, okay? Oh, Everybody in the yeah. mother had Leland Cypress as a either a specimen plant or as a kind of a, a green wall, mm-hmm. if you will. Well, then canker disease came in and started having problems with Leland. So because of, of our people, soil, basically. A lot of people started replacing Leland Cypress with cryptomeria. And there are some great-looking mm-hmm. cryptomeria out there. But like you just said, they don't have to be in tree form. Yeah, we can just get them in the uh, the small nana or dwarf rounded form. Some people think it, call it cousin it. Yeah. But it's so pretty when you see it. And I've seen them grow in full sun, but it seems like you need to fertilize and water a little more. And the drainage needs to be better. It does, but I've seen people put them in the ground. And mm-hmm. I've also seen tons of people use those in containers. Perfect container plant, you really. Know, All mean, the time evergreen. It doesn't have to be a boxwood. Right, that's you know? true. I just thought of that before you said it, I must have read your mind. But yeah, doesn't have to be a boxwood, which nothing wrong not with those either. Right, right. Nothing wrong with those either. But then we have that boxwood blight going around. But I don't think it's as intense as we were thinking. We've controlled it in Memphis, sort of. Well, think, so hopefully. far. Yeah. But but also when we get back from the break, uh, there is one boxwood that I'm going to tell you about, Veda. And I'll tell you why 
I'm going to tell you about this boxwood. <laughs> tell me why you're going to tell uh-huh. me. If you tell me why you're going to tell me, then you just told me. And it's, and it's <laughs> now you got me confused. <laughs> and it's a boxwood that uh, someone needed for a particular uh, project, and mm-hmm. it's one that maybe I'd heard of it, but I don't yeah. even think I'd ever even heard of this oh, boxwood. Good, I'm interested in this one. You know? Yes. Yeah, so y'all, hang on. The mystery will be solved after this break. <laughs> Good morning. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. And we want to give a shout out to Mr. Paul. He's actually the one that came up with, I'm sure it was Mr. Paul who said it's fall, y'all. Yeah. And, and then was, I just took it and ran with it. Well, it was funny. We were talking about Mr. Paul. I had a mm-hmm. customer in yesterday to, into the garden center asking about Mr. Paul. And I said, you know, I'm trying to give Mr. Paul his space. You know, he's mm-hmm. listening. In fact, I just saw where it came up. Mr. Paul said, good morning. Uh, you know, usually we would call him out when he didn't call <laughs> us every Saturday. So, you know, I'm going to be nice. But I do want to say good morning to Mr. Yes. Paul. And, you know, he's a dear friend. Right. And yeah, we do, we do miss li- hearing uh, from Mr. Paul. They don't mind a call for, for, we don't mind a call from Mr. Paul saying it's fall, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> Very good there, Veda. Oh. But also we had a text from Mr. John Haggard uh, texted in and said that the leaves on my Encore Azaleas are looking kind of copper in color. Uh, when I scratch the stems, they have to be, you know, they're good, nice, and green up under there when he scratches the stem, which is the most important thing. And he did have some beautiful blooms this spring. So what I would say, John, is uh, every year, you know, the growing season is a little different. Mm-hmm. Yes, even though they are evergreens, the Encore azaleas, like traditional azaleas are, there's always still going to be some leaf drop this time of year. Some years, a lot more than others. Uh, on some of the azaleas, we get nothing but yellow leaves before they drop off. On some of the other azaleas, uh, we get the copper, kind of reddish-looking leaves before they drop off. Nothing at all wrong with them. Uh, it's just really a, a byproduct of the growing season mm-hmm. that we went through, some of the stress that we went through. What I would say, do honestly, if I saw that, is go out there and feed them with a you know a good heavy dose of milorganite or some uh, some holytone. Do it now, and then uh, you, know, you can do it again early next spring. They're going to flush out perfectly fine uh, next spring. Well, they should. They're not going to not flush out yeah. perfectly fine because of the leaves that we're seeing now. Right. You know, so there's really, it's just more of a, a weather-driven phenomenal mm-hmm. than anything. Yeah, because a lot of those leaves will fall off and the new ones will come on absolutely yeah so you're all good with that just like we depending on the years the amount of rain and all we'll see uh, the traditional regular azaleas have leaf drop or yellow leaves on the inside and that's also a normal thing, especially like the whites and the light pinks. Right. You see they more of the yellow. That. That's right. Yeah, and some seasons you see it and some seasons you don't. And it's like if the end, if the tips or the end are still fresh and there's green leaves on that, then there's no big issue. It's just a, a thing of the weather. Exactly. And you made the comment that at the end of the limbs, Veda, the very tip of the limbs where that cluster of leaves are that yeah. c- that surround that bud, yeah, if they're still it. good and green at the very tips, mm-hmm. you can have every other leaf honestly turn yellow and fall off yeah. or turn copper and fall off. That's very true. And we've seen that sometimes, you know, where most of the mm-hmm. leaves fall off azaleas and we're like, hang on, these things are yeah. evergreens, but it can happen. And there are azaleas that aren't evergreen. It's those, uh, the native azaleas. Love them. Gosh, they're fantastic looking. All right, the boxwood that I was going to tell you oh, about, Veda. Yeah. Um, you know, there's so many boxwoods on the market now. 
And most of these newer box, which are even the ones that I've never heard of, most of them are hybrids. You know, it doesn't have to be a true English boxwood or a true American boxwood. The beauty of these hybrids is most of the hybrids are easy to grow. Uh, they're more forgiving when it comes to moisture in the soil. Um, and then most of them can take a lot more sun. You know, your old-fashioned English and American boxwood was typically a, a boxwood that mm-hmm. grew in more shade yeah. or high shade. Okay? Well, these hybrids can take full sun. <laughs> Which know? is strange. Yeah. but and, and not only are there so many boxwoods on the market now, there are also some that are what we call more dwarf in nature. Okay? Because we don't always need a boxwood that's going to get four to five foot tall, you yeah. know, and five right. foot wide. Not always exactly. And or that, yeah, that yeah. wide. And, yeah. and a lot of the, uh, one of the dwarf boxwoods that we carried uh, this year, and we sold quite a few of them, honestly, uh, was the Miss Missy, okay? Mm-hmm. Well, we had a lady come in to the garden center. She's got this round bed that's surrounded by concrete okay. and walkways, okay? Mm-hmm. And she wanted to do something with this round bed. That's a hard one to work on. It is, but she wanted to have more of a butterfly garden in there. Mm -hmm. So she was putting milkweed and butterfly bushes and echinacea, the cone flowers, and different perennials in there. They're going to come back every year. They're great pollinators and bring in the butterflies. But she also wanted a boxwood that was going to ring the outside of the bed. Okay. Okay. And since we couldn't find any of the Miss Missies, we got one called Emerald Knoll, mm-hmm. K-N-O-L-L, Emerald Knoll. It's been around for a long time. But this is a, it's a, it's a Korean boxwood, okay? Uh-huh. So which means they're tough as yeah. everything. But this is a very low-mounting boxwood. Uh, it has the rich emerald green leaves uh, that hold their color throughout the winter, and it won't bronze. You know, a lot of these mm-hmm. boxwoods that we buy will bronze in the winter. Yeah. It doesn't mean there's anything wrong with right. them. They just bronze. I kind of don't want that. Some people do, some people yeah. don't, right? Uh, but this one only gets one and a half to two foot tall, mm-hmm. but it's going to get about three foot to four foot wide. <laughs> Isn't that funny? Yeah. So it's going to be I wider mean, than it is that. tall. One and a half to two foot tall and at least three foot wide. So that's a hedge material. Yeah. So we'll make a beautiful hedge. Mm-hmm. So they'll ring this bed that's surrounded by concrete either now if you plant them far enough apart you'll have individual plants right yeah if you put them a little closer you can trim them as a hedge right yeah so it, this was um just one of those that i was scratching my head like hold on have i ever heard of this boxwood and i don't think i ever had no i haven't but it's just one all. of those it's, it's one of those dwarf boxwoods that have been around the, yeah yeah show up in the plant world so um, there was a study done in the hospital that plants in the room, they reported less pain, lower blood pressure, less fatigue, and less anxiety. And that's with plants in the room. So we need us plants in every room of our house. That, yeah. Because, you know, I've noticed like um, you have the shades down, everything's closed up and you know, that's shades are down. And then when I open the curtains, open the shades and I see the out, you know, see the trees in the container garden, I literally feel, you know, I have a whole different feeling and a better outlook when I see all of that outside. It can be one simple tree with a bird feeder hanging in it. Mm -hmm. And it's just awesome. And, um, 
there's it helps to like increase the cortisol which is a stress hormone and uh, it lowers the um, lowers fatigue it's it's like the plant interaction this is more in your yard lowers <clears throat> fatigue lowers irritability <laughs> We that must be that. why they say gardeners are the nicest people Has ever. To be. And it uh, lowers the blood pressure and it takes away negative thoughts and emotions. Well, and even if it didn't do any of those things, it's not going to hurt anything. But I'm like you, I think it does. I mean, yeah, you know, help. Yeah. yeah. We're always trying to bring our landscape outside, inside, right? And one of the easiest ways to do that is through houseplants. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Through houseplants. So, so do it. That's going to be great for winter. Um, go ahead. And then I was going to say, you know, and, uh, you know, we've talked about this before, Veda, that houseplants help purify the air in the mm-hmm. house. You know, you read some articles where they say absolutely they do. In fact, when I was telling you about the Alpine Chefalera, they say that thing is one of the best purifiers you can mm-hmm. get for air in your house, period. Yeah. Okay. But then you'll read other articles where you got to have so many in there. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe you do, maybe you don't. Right. But it's not hurting the air in the house. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We like when people walk into the garden center. We've got a lot of house plants in there. You see them take a breath. <sighs> I mean, I'm just you feels know. Feels good. Yeah, it feels good. Um, okay, this was. I just had to bring this up because we don't ever talk the scientific classification oh. of many plants, and this one's of the Gallardia. Gotcha. There's ten. There's nine classifications before you get to the name Gallardia. <laughs> so there's the kingdom. That's the, pl- it's plantae, P-L-A-N-T-A-E. Well, every plant has that same format, though. Yeah, yeah you know, exactly. Every, every plant. The genus, species, family, sub-family, so family, yeah. tribe, yes. sub-tribe, genus. So there's, it takes 11 classifications, 10 classifications to get to Gallardia. And I would just rather say the old common name. You know, we yeah. can get into Italian or Latin botanical right, names. Right, right. Well, when, well, when I, go, when I said echinacea, you know, going in mm-hmm. the plant, uh, or scaphalus, which, you know, scaphalus is the milkweed, echinacea yeah. is the coneflower. Most people know that, but I like to just say coneflower and milkweed. Yeah, right. Now, I understand the scientific classifications for the studies, right. and to and now I'm hearing that things are getting changed. Well, it's all about classification. Yeah. That's what it's for. <laughs> oh, I know, so you can know exactly what plant we're speaking of but in general we're not gonna if somebody goes in and tells me that they want a plant and they start with the kingdom and work their all their way down i'm going to be off in another world by the time we get to what it is yeah but but you mentioned about house plants and in the mood that that people are in veda i mean and i totally Mm -hmm. agree with you uh, and, you know, it's just one of the easiest ways there again to bring the outdoors inside your house. Right. Exactly. Y'all, we've had so much fun. Remember, you can listen to us on the podcast. Tell everybody about our podcast. And we'll see you next weekend in the garden.